Hey, y'all. Welcome back to a Wednesday, April 20th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Jam-packed show for you guys today. Um, really, really fun stuff all across the board. We've got uh, Wes Goldberg of Locked On Heat uh, to talk all things NBA, Hawks Heat Series, all that good stuff. Great NBA conversation with Wes. Then we got Major League Baseball with veteran MLB writer Nick Stellini. So we get into uh, week two, Major League Baseball season, uh, the Cincinnati Reds offense, uh, Freeland extension for the Rockies, Joe Madden as a manager, uh, all that and more uh, on the MLB front there. And then uh, Keon uh, Myers is also coming on this edition of the podcast to talk about the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, Devontae Adams in the building, how that works, Josh McDaniels coming over, Ziegler, uh, the old administration with Mayock and Gruden, what's changing in Vegas, what to expect, uh, the car extension, all that and more on this edition of the Chase Most Podcast jam-packed show for you guys today, um, and I think you will very much enjoy it. Um, folks, if you did not already know, guess what? You can watch this very program. Oh, yeah, YouTube.com, type in the Chase Most Podcast, hit that subscribe button and never miss a future episode if you want to watch it so go ahead and do that um, also if you have not already done so and uh, you you are subscribed to this very podcast make sure you go ahead and hit pause on your podcast player and leave this show a five-star rating and a review on apple Podcasts, spotify or however you get your podcasts that would be great, and I would greatly appreciate it because it helps other people find the show, and it helps this show here on the Blue Wire Pod Network continue to grow. So that would be fantastic. I would very much appreciate it. Um, I'm writing. At all my writing front, uh, I am the Sports Renaissance Man, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Type in your email and uh, never miss an issue of all of my sports writing and all that and more there, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. And like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, the Tuesday, April 19th edition here on the podcast. We're a few hours away from the Atlanta Hawks evening the series with the Miami Heat this evening as they took uh, a schedule loss on Sunday. They had fun Saturday night in Miami. Um, Trey took a lot of shots for the team. Uh, Trey had to be sacrificed for this whole team to get amped up for tonight uh, to split the series. And to to talk me through whether or not any of that is reality, Wes Goldberg of Locked On Heat is here. Wes, how are you doing, man? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. You cannot pick which side of the country you would like to stay on. You you go from California to Florida. Are, are you are you good at Miami? Or are you back I'm to good. like Washington next year? Like what no. are we doing here? Uh, I'm good in Miami. I'm good in Miami. Grew up here. Went out to California uh, for my. I call them the LeBron years. Mm-hmm. We had to go to Miami to learn how to do the job right. So I went out to the San Francisco Bay Area, learned how to do the job right. Had my LeBron years. Came back to Miami. There you go. I like that. I like that. Um, what's the best part of my Miami or what's the biggest difference between Miami and San Francisco? I've never been to San Francisco. I've been to Miami, right. but not that. other than the politics, <laughs> which mm. I don't want to get into, but that would probably be the biggest difference. Um, yeah. Miami is very much newer up and coming. 
Hmm. Uh, where San Francisco is very kind of classic, old school kind of city. A lot of history there. Not a whole lot. There's history in Miami. People don't like to talk about it as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's definitely one of the newer, more up and coming cities of, as opposed to the Bay Area, which seems to just everything's old. Do you miss it at all? Of course. You know, mm-hmm. I miss everything. I miss everywhere that, you know, I've lived and been. But um really hmm. happy to be back in Miami. Okay. I like it. I like it. Is it back to pretty normal reporting wise? How was this year covering the heat locally? Yeah. Uh, at first it was a little, still some COVID restrictions. Now it's starting to be more mm. normal. Um, you know, the, the arena itself, the restrictions are pretty loose apparently, uh, hmm. especially when you consider, uh, compare it to, uh, what was going on in San Francisco. But, um, yeah, uh, finally we're getting like regular practices, one-on-ones with players. It's easier to talk to guys. Um, locker room access, obviously not still, uh, not back yet. I don't anticipate it being back this year. Not even, mm-hmm. probably not even for the finals. Um, but we'll see, we'll see, but, uh, much better than what it was last year, which was like zero access other than people, you people whose phone numbers you might've had. Yeah, there you go. Well, hopefully it changes soon. Hopefully we inch closer and closer. Cause I think the NFL opened it all back up and locker room access is back. Yeah. Major league just... baseball has a uh, clubhouse access now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Silver's backed in a corner here. He didn't want to do it. He had that interview. They did not uh, want to bring it back, but you don't want to be the only league not doing it, right? Like, that'd be a bad look. Um, Well, we're going to talk about the Hawks and Heat in a second, but I want to get your perspective. A lot of games. Like, how are you balancing the game watching? Because I'm always curious for folks. Like, this time of year, it it gets complicated because we all have lives. We all have other stuff that we would like to do, and we have other things, other commitments, and... it's hard because there are so many games and it i miss the bubble in a lot of ways with the playoffs where it's like they had games going on during the day like a noon spot was march madness style yes that was incredible like i miss that schedule and i wish honestly they would bring that back because i would be able to like balance out my day a lot better because i don't want to go from 7 p.m to 2 a.m uh most nights i can't i can't do that so i have to be very careful now mm-hmm. what i watch and i'm just like okay what's the mo- like i'm betting on like what's the most likely the most interesting game that i need to take notes on out of this slate and then i pick that is that how you do it do you try and like watch a little bit of everything do you just focus on one particular game that night how do you do it well, it's all priorities, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I cover the Miami Heat on a day-to-day basis. So if the Heat are playing, my day is dedicated to the Heat. So for tonight, mm-hmm. for example, it's all dedicated to the Heat. By the time I wrap up, maybe I can catch the late game uh, by the time I get back from the arena back home. So uh, it's kind of one of those. But like last night, for example, there were three games on. You had the t- two TNT games back-to-back. But then you had that mm-hmm. weird NBA TV Jazz Mavericks situation kind of mm-hmm. sandwiched in the middle i think it was like an eight or an eight thirty start yeah so basically by i i started flicking back and forth by the time philly the philly last night philly pulled away philly, from Toronto, yeah. uh and then i started flicking back and forth uh and then i finished the mavericks that that jazz mavericks game because it was close and then mm-hmm. i just switched over to denver golden state uh but really you kind of have to like you have to prioritize you've got to really understand all right who do i actually think is going to go to the nba finals Mm-hmm. Like, does it really matter if I watch the Utah Jazz implode? Uh, like, probably not, because nobody expects yeah. them to get to the finals. But, you know, a team like the Warriors, obviously a team like Philly, like, these, these are teams that could go pretty far, and so you kind of have to watch them a little bit more. 
Yeah, I think that's a good way of uh, looking at it. And it's just like, we'll see. It's e I think it will get easier once the series go on where you're like, okay, this is clearly going seven. I need to watch these back and forth and I need to see what's yeah. changing over the course of this series because um, like, I think we can move on from Raptors Sixers where it's like the Raptors are just not healthy enough. This is not going to be a thing. Uh, Nuggets, move on from that one. We got Will Barton and DeMarcus Cousins arguing on the yeah, side. The only that problem with moving on from the Nuggets is that I still love watching Nikola Jokic. That's and true. the team that they're playing is a lot of fun to watch too. No, like... I gotta tell you, man. I I turned to my fiance last night, and I was like, "We might have to get another TV." And I and so what I actually do is I prop up the iPad next to the okay. television, and she's like, "Well, we kind of like we need a second TV." And mm -hmm. I think she thought I was talking about the one that we have in the bedroom and then the one we had in the living room. And I was like, "No, no, no. I mean like two TVs like next to each other." She's like, "Oh, mm -hmm. you want to do like that one on top of the other thing?" I was like, "Yeah." And then she kind of looked at me and then didn't say anything, which to me was a no. Mm -hmm. uh but i'm working on it i'm working <laughs> so are you would you put two nba games on at the same time or put what she wants to watch on one of those tvs and what you want to watch <laughs> don't give on her that idea don't give her that idea my idea <laughs> was the two nba games <laughs> just don't tell her you did this podcast today no no we're not putting uh the ultimatum on the other one we're not well hold on the ultimatum was uh 10 out of 10 like the ultimatum was love is blind just did you watch ultimatum before i even just posit about this i've got one or two episodes in but i just i i couldn't that's a problem it's like i got two we got like two episodes in and then the playoffs yeah. started and i was like all right well now i gotta go into my playoff like hole in the ground mm -hmm. and then like and then once i emerge then i can catch up on pop culture but i did watch love is blind that was during the regular season so i had an easier time doing that like on a saturday afternoon well, this is like love is blind times 10. Like this is my like I, I was not a reality show person before my significant other. And Same. she she's all about it. And I'll watch some of it. Some of it's just terrible and I can't and I'll eject. But like love is blind was one of those. Um, but the ultimatum is the messiest reality show or one of the messiest shows I've seen in a long time. I can't get enough of it. Like I saw a friend of the pod, Mark Schindler. He just tweeted something about April season three or um, episode three. Yeah. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. People were not sure because he didn't clarify like it was ultimatum or whatever. And I was like, oh, he's at that episode. I know what he's talking about. This is so great. April's the reason I'm out. April's the reason I was Ooh. out because she was the one. She's kind of the kind of person. I'm like, all right, you don't even like this dude. I can already tell. Like, I, mm. I see right through her. You don't even like this dude. <laughs> you just wanted to be on reality TV. Mm. You know, you think you're hot stuff. And and now you're a reality. Like she was way too earnest and willing to open up right away. I was like, no, 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 that's not, I see. She like, opened up about all kinds of stuff. Like it, yeah. just, uh, she, it was a mess. Like Madeline was a mess. The Madeline Colby stuff's a mess. Like there yeah. it's just, but it's also the premise of that show is insane. It's is insane. insane. <laughs> yes. Like I told uh, the sports restaurant someone, I was like, this is psychological hell. Like this is something where it's like, I, I feel bad in a lot of ways for the people who were not the ones who wanted to do the ultimatum where they're like, Hey, we're going to go on this show for two months where the first month you live with someone else who also has a fiance, like right. have fun. What well, do you knew what show they were going on? Right? Well, they did, but they didn't like, they didn't want to, because the people who put the ultimatum out are the ones that like want to get the other person to do something right. and create action. And you're There's like, no way. Like you got to be the dumbest person on the planet. If you think yeah. that going on that show would help your relationship at all, like yeah. you have to be the dumbest person on the planet. And so I actually, that was my problem with like, I know it sounds weird to be like, Oh, this reality show is way mm -hmm. too contrived. And cause like they all are, <laughs> but 
like love is blind at least i kind of get it from an experiment standpoint i was mm-hmm. like all right all these people are single like they're desperate like they kind of want to be on reality tv whatever like go for it like mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of interesting but like the, the, I, like these people like get on this show and then they're just like oh my god this is kind of messy and crazy it's like what did you think was gonna happen <laughs> like did you think like this would just be like smooth sailing like i don't yeah that's that's i don't know they're also too young like all the ages were like 23 yes. 24 and i'm like what are you doing what are you giving ultimatums for and like yeah, that, i need I kids now what girl was she was like we've been dating for three and a half <laughs> months and he still hasn't proposed and you're just like all right yeah and then just the the best is uh, what's her name? Who uh, Colby was like, I'm just not attracted to you. And then she comes back the next day, like I think we should do. This. He's like, I don't know how to be any more clear. And she's like, Colby's so mean. I don't understand what's going. It's like this dude just said I'm not into you multiple times. Yep. I didn't think there was anything bad. Like, and oh god, just a, I'm with folks. Colby on that too. And I'm not with Colby on anything else over the course of the season. Like there was a line from I think one of her friends, Madeline's friend, or it's like he lives in a different like, or maybe it was April later on. Not to spoil anything for you, Wes, but it's like he Sorry. lives in his own world. Like whatever he hears and he sees is completely different than what actually is happening. Around. So you right. can't get mad at somebody like that, where you're like, this man hears whatever he wants to hear and lives in his own reality. Like that's just him. Um, God, what a great show uh what a great show you maybe, you want to maybe you'll yeah. talk me into it maybe you'll talk me into it it's a good break man you're gonna get burnt out not like it's a lot of basketball you gotta have like the like i have my book reading time i like mm-hmm. i branched out like you gotta grad school helps here too because i'm able to do other stuff but yeah i don't know it's a, it's a lot of nba content i can't do what the zach lowe's and coach thorpe's of the world do with just the 12 hours a day in the regular season i can't do yeah it. no during the regular season i can't do it i'm but even that said I find myself watching a lot of basketball during the regular mm-hmm. season. I actually have to remind myself, like, you know what? It's a Friday night. Why don't you just do something, you know, with your girl? Or why don't you, like, go see friends or something? Like, And don't yeah. feel bad about it. But <laughs> the playoffs is is it's just a different animal. There's just so much happening. Every game matters. And I can't I can't pull myself away. So, Well, speaking of things you can't pull yourself away with, uh, the Atlanta Hawks-Miami Heat series. So Sunday was a massacre it wasn't good trey got beat up a lot in this particular game um i i won't get into how trey was officiated um i think it there is something too where it's like (sighs) trey brings a lot of this on himself he's a kind of guy who's going to draw a lot of attention um obviously he shot horribly in game one he really struggled in a multitude of ways but it's a long series and Trey is going to figure this out and Trey is going to get more and more comfortable with what the heat are throwing at him. But I am concerned where it's like, Oh, this is, they're going to need more from a Deandre Hunter. Bogey had the game from hell. He shot horribly. And like when Trey's off, Bogey can't be off. Like those are one of those two where it's like when Trey sits and he's struggling, like in the Cavs game, Bogey kept like Bogey is the reason that the Hawks are even in the the playoffs right now is because of Trey having the first half from hell in that Cavs game where Darius Garland was just ripping him apart. Trey turning over, turning over a bunch and bogey comes in and just keeps the offense afloat and like keeps it within 12 to 14 and manageable where if we go on a run and Trey gets hot in the second half, we can win that thing. But when you watched game one, what did you see the the Heat did to really frustrate Trey and keep him from having some sort of second half surge, from keeping him from just really ever getting comfortable in Miami? Uh, they punched him in the mouth, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they really, uh, and even Trey Young said it today after shoot around this morning, you know, like 
you know, we walked into a building, they bullied us and we, we, you can't run from a bully. You have to bully them back. And my response to that is, all right, well, good luck because, <laughs> uh, the Hawks, they've just, you know, you talk to people around the Hawks, they're, 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 they've been a little soft this year, right? Mm-hmm. Like when they get, when they get punched in the mouth like that, they don't really respond, you know, in, in any major way. And for the heat, that's kind of their whole deal is, mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to punch you in the mouth. And, if you're going to outshoot us, if you're going to outrun us, like whatever, try it. Uh, but we're going to be the most physical team on the floor. And Atlanta just never, they just kind of got off balance and never really found their footing again in that game. And I, I Trey Young looked a little hesitant, which is crazy to think about Trey Young being hesitant about anything, especially shooting a 30 footer, but he was a little bit, right? Yeah. He just didn't look himself. And maybe it was tired legs after Friday emotional game against Cleveland. And then the, the short turnaround, it was a one a 1 p.m. game as opposed to a night game on Sunday. So I think that might have been a small factor, but I give a lot of the credit to the Heat for just coming out with a sense of urgency, coming out and being like, hey, just so you know, this is what this series is going to feel like. Um, And (laughs) there was that play in the first quarter where Jimmy Butler uh, kind of strangled Trey Young on a foul. (laughs) Like Trey Young kind of stopped and it was a foul. And it – Jimmy Butler was basically just putting his arm on Trey Young just to like break his fall or kind of get his balance. But he left the arm there for like a little bit longer than he needed to and just let Trey Young know, like, you're gonna get touched in this series. Like mm-hmm. it's gonna be like this. And then Trey Young kind of tried to body him up. And Jimmy Butler just did that thing where he just kind of looked over him, sort of reminded him that he's got like seven inches on him um, mm-hmm. and didn't say anything. And I just and that kind of just rallied the heat, I think, right there. Um, and then it was a it was a smooth game for Miami after that. So um, I expect much of the same from the mm-hmm. Heat. I but I do expect uh, a lot more from Atlanta. Like I'll bet anything that I have that Trey Young doesn't have another game like that. Like that he doesn't make a single sh- uh, shot in the half court. Like he made one shot, yeah. tra- a steal in transition. He didn't make a single shot in the half court the entire game. That ain't gonna happen again. Bogdan Bogdanovich isn't gonna do that again, right? Like yeah. they're not gonna be a combined one for twenty again. Um, but the heat will make it difficult for them. Yeah. What it, I was curious to see what the matchups would be like, what matchup did you like that Spo put on Atlanta to really frustrate Trey? And what kind of assignments did you see where it's like, okay, this is a smart way of playing the Hawks offensively because the defense is not getting fixed. And that was something I've said all year in Atlanta. It's like, you're not fixing this defense this year. The, the personnel is not there. Like just play your best five offensive players. Let's run and gun. Like Anyeka is in a tough spot in the series without Capella, but, the thing about like the Hawks are just so complicated as someone who watches all these games is that like Capella, if he doesn't get injured, we lose to the Cavs. Like him mm. get, leaving that game and then Yeka going in and us playing five out and really putting a bunch of offensive pressure on Cleveland in that second half changed the game. Um, bogey in that first half, first half but uh, and Yeka in the second half. And he does a lot of stuff that Capella just cannot do. He's a lot more physical. He's a lot more assertive. He, he, is someone who like not he's not going to be Bam. I don't think. I don't think he has that high of a ceiling. But I do think it's that kind of big where it's like a lot will continue to be added to his plate, and he will continue to be a bigger uh, guy in Atlanta. But I just don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that coming in this series against Miami. And a lot of it was like, okay, Lowry can't keep up with Trey. Like Lowry is not who he was two years ago. Do we get a lot of Gabe Vincent on Trey in this series? Um, who's running, who does Trey mark up with? Like, who is Trey going to guard in any of these half court sets? And like Duncan Robinson, we haven't even mentioned him. He shot lights out. What was he like? Nine for 10, eight for nine, something like that. Eight for nine, uh, yeah. yeah. And 
we talk about guys aren't doing that again, but Duncan could do that again. Like Duncan could absolutely shoot lights out like that one or two more times in the series. So what did you specifically see that the heat threw out defensively that frustrated the Hawks? Um, well, first of all, the, the heat switch everything, right? Mm-hmm. And they have a guy in BAM at center who can switch everything and can credibly defend Trey Young on the perimeter. Like mm-hmm. he ain't, he's not scared of that assignment. And it was, it very much worked in Miami's favor in game one. It's the Heat play a, a level of defense and they have a personnel on defense that is pretty much the kryptonite for the Atlanta Hawks. Like everything hmm. that the Hawks would not want a defense to look like, the Miami Heat look like that, right? Because they, they, they switch everything. You mentioned that Kyle Lowry is just not like that guy defensively, and I agree with you. Um, but they just they kind of just hand off Trey Young on whoever and they're not worried yeah. about it. And even with Max Struess, who the Hawks targeted in like the last week of the regular season a little bit, Struess newly uh in the starting lineup there and they mm-hmm. and the Hawks targeted him. And he was a little shaky in that regular season matchup, much stronger at the point of attack in game one. Again, that yeah. doesn't mean anything for game two, but um I think if you're the Heat, you're encouraged by it. Uh and you know, there was a few possessions there too where Trey Young would get the switch onto Bam Adebayo. And because the Hawks and the Heat see each other so many times, Trey Young is smart enough to know, okay, this is not just a normal center who I'm going to blow by. Mm-hmm. So he does the Trey Young dance and the crossover and the handle and blah, blah, blah. And, <laughs> and then kind of just doesn't take the shot. He's just like, wow, I'm not getting any space on this guy. So I don't know if that's tired legs. I don't know if the fact it, it was Jimmy Butler strangle him, strangling him earlier in the game or what it was, but he wasn't ready to take down on that assignment. I wonder if that's different in game two, because if you're Atlanta, you're like, all right, I know that it's Bam Adebayo. Uh, a defensive player of the year candidate, even though he wasn't a finalist, but a lot of people had him on his ballot, finished fourth. Um, you still got to attack it because if you're mm-hmm. not going to make anything out of that, then we got no chance in the series, period, end of story. You're Trey Young, you're our best player. You got to attack their best player. It just has to happen. So that's one thing I would expect. Um, as far as Miami um, offensively, you know, I think that, you know, th- there's an opportunity, I think, for Kyle Lowry to kind of do more offensively than he did in game one. Uh, Trey Young basically spent the entire game guarding Kyle Lowry. There's not really a place that you feel comfortable putting Trey Young because you don't want him on Duncan Robinson or Max Drews because you don't want him running around screens and stuff all 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 day on defense and tiring him out for offense. But um, I, th- I Kyle Lowry only took like eight shots in the game or something like that. I would expect the Heat to maybe target that matchup a little bit more and get Trey Young to work a little bit more and Kyle Lowry be a little bit less passive on offense. And then as far as Duncan Robinson and Max Drews go, I mean, they I don't know what the Hawks thought they were doing, but mm-hmm. they just kept losing Duncan and Max Drews in oh, on hold on. every I, screen. Oh, I can tell you. They do this all the time. They did that in the Cavs game. Like Laurie Markinen was just wide open. They were just moving the ball around the like the defensive communication is horrific. Like it's They're just losing their horrific. guys. Yeah. Just losing their guys. I don't know what that's Kevin not getting Herter, fixed. That's gonna happen. Herter, <laughs> well then then I really don't see how the Hawks have an, a chance to, in this series. Yeah. Because the Heat are the best three-point shooting team in the NBA by percentage. And they're always going to have one of Duncan and, and Max on the floor. Mm. You can't just lose those dudes. Like, they're yeah. not spot-up shooters. They run around like crazy. Like, it, it, I, I, it, it just blew my mind, like, how in a playoff game you could just be caught sleeping. It wasn't even a communication yeah. thing. It was literally just like, I'm looking this way, and now he's running the other way, and I still thought he was over there. Like, just pay attention to the guy that you're covering. Mm-hmm. That's basic stuff, you know, and they just weren't doing it. So I, that that's got to get cleaned up if Atlanta's going to have any chance. 
I don't think it gets cleaned up. I uh, have not watched a lot of these games. Like, I just don't think that that's getting cleaned up. Like, that's something they have to reassess this offseason. And I just hear Nate's a defensive guy. Like, Nate, and it's like, watch these games, man. Like, at some point, you have to be like, all right, is it a Nate thing? Is it an off? Like, is it a team thing? Like, I don't know. The Hawks are in for just a crazy offseason. Like, nothing would surprise me um, in whatever direction they go. But I, I just not the best vibes and i'm just frustrated like deandre hunter is just one of the all-time most frustrating players y'all can have him like i can can we get a max struce for uh deandre hunter can we get a yeah can we get uh who insert play i really liked hunter too at virginia i thought he was like the real deal um he's just not there athletically well you know it's a no so it's he's perpetually hurt so that's part of it like he's just one of those guys who i said earlier i want to like sell high get off this this is going to just be his career like he is someone who's just the bot like there's just some guys who come in like entry prone and you're like all right that's just unfortunately the way this goes and availability matters and when he misses so many games you're like we've got to understand what this guy is and we have to get enough minutes and enough time with him with our best lineup to see if he's someone worth paying some down the line and is is he a core piece with trey is he or is he not and he was doing, he'll do this stuff where he drives like three or four times a game, or he had to that 15 point third quarter against Charlotte where you're like, oh, the light bulb went off. And then it's just, I'm getting my cardio in for the next four quarters. And it's so frustrating. It's like this series, I said, like I circled uh, in my notes of just like, DeAndre doesn't step up. Like he doesn't play like a lottery pick that you traded up for a couple of years ago and really goes at Jimmy Butler and really goes at the heat. Like, Hey, it's not going to be all Trey and all bogey on offense. Like I'm going to attack. I'm going to draw fouls. I'm going to challenge guys. Cause he did that a couple of times in the Cleveland game and he's okay. Like he's an okay finisher inside. Like when he mm-hmm. wants to attack, he can do it. He just doesn't have that. He doesn't have that mindset. Like he's not wired like that. He's, he's wired like it. Andrew Wiggins like no, that's just I, was, how, I thought you that's where you were going I was like is he gonna bring up Wiggins and yeah that's who but Wiggins is a better player like that's especially this year and I it's just if that's what he is then he's not worth he's not a core piece like that's no. someone you can find all over the place and that's a bummer because Reddish was a lottery pick he was a part of the Luka trade he's yeah. out DeAndre Hunter you traded up for and then John Collins doesn't enjoy playing offense with Trey Young so it's <laughs> like where are we going I I just the Atlanta yeah, offseason. I, didn't wanna, I don't know. I, I wasn't trying to bring up like old stuff, but since you brought up the Luca thing, and not not, and I don't want to relitigate the the who won the Luca Trey Young deal, bit, but just the fact that Trey Young panned out as well as he did, um, to at least kind of even it a, li- a little bit, and that mm-hmm. like, and then and then for that front office to just whiff on Reddish and 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 Hunter, like you needed just one other guy, like starter, mm-hmm. to make that like just an even trade. To just be like, all right, you got an all time, you got like a transcendent kind of guy in Luca. We got a transcendent point guard in Trey Young, but we also have this high level starter also to kind mm-hmm. of base our team around. The fact that it looks like they're not going to get that second guy out of that deal, which is the whole reason you make that trade, was to sort of rebuild the entire roster, not at just one spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, given how great Trey Young is and how well that pick panned out, that's a bummer. Like, that's tough. That's a really hard thing to bounce back from, from a front, as a front office. Well, and that's the whole thing. It's like when you're in these smaller markets where you have to, like you're in a different situation, Miami. Miami can build a completely different way right. than Atlanta can. Like Trey, <laughs> if he's unhappy and he's like, hey, 
uh, if we're not back at the top four seed in the East next year, I'm out. Like I'm asking for a trade. Like we're seeing what happens with Zion. We're seeing what happens with the young guys now more and more where if they don't see what you're seeing and they're like, Hey, Cam, DeAndre, like I can't go to war with these guys. I know I can't win with these guys. So fix it. Like just fix it. And you're like, well, mm-hmm. where's their trade value? Because Hunter's trade value is not great. Uh, right. Herder's trade value Cam right for Kevin Knox, which is, yeah. You know. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Um, and then Collins, like he's been hurt for the majority of this year. And that's been a big problem with the defense and yeah. what happened there. Um, it was a, it was a really unlucky situation, but like, I don't know, man, like a lot of those pieces that you would use to put together and go after like a Bradley Beal or something, they're all gone. Like the biggest yeah. thing that we have in our war chest is our picks. Like we have a bunch of picks and Schlink's been really good about hoarding um, all of our draft picks and all of our first rounders. But I don't know, like this like offseason thing for them you basically pair like the best one way offensive player with the best one way defensive player. Um, it cleans up a lot. It doesn't fix everything. You'd have to basically get rid of all your wing depth probably because that's what Utah well, and has wanted. gone there. Like there's no point having Yeka in that situation and Capella. Right. Yeah. Um, the other thing you could do is just is kind of hope that on pans out with, I mean, and Yeka's going to pan out. Like I'm really high on Yeka. He's a really good player. Like our core right now is Trey, Anyaka, and John. Like that's yeah. it. Like everyone else is not a core piece, and that's a scary place. Like Jalen Johnson, I forgot what stat I saw where it was like he played the fewest amount of minutes of any Hawks lottery pick. Like it was something crazy because Jalen Johnson has been a non-factor. Like he's done right. nothing all year, and you just see around the league like all these lottery picks playing and contributing, and like he's just not even involved whatsoever. So, I mean. Look, the NBA drafts a crapshoot, and it it's easy to point this stuff out after the fact, but it just it happened. This is where the Hawks are, and Schlenk's got a very, very interesting offseason ahead of him because I have no idea where they're going to go. I Nothing would surprise me, though. Nothing would surprise me. Um, what has surprised you, though, to this point? What series and games that you've watched a lot of, what's the, been the biggest surprise? Is it a team? Is it a player performance? What has been the biggest surprise? Um, I don't know that there's been one surprise. Um, I don't know. Um, maybe the Philly thing, okay. even though I, I was a little bit, uh, more bullish on the 76ers. There was a lot of NBA nerds that were like, look, the Raptors are the perfect team to play Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. They beat them every time when, after Philly got James Harden and, you know, Nick Nurse is going to coach circles around Doc Rivers, and they have so much mm. length to throw at Embiid. And I was like, yeah, all that stuff is true, but like Philadelphia's got Joel Embiid, and and if Harden just plays halfway decent, I kind of always thought we were sort of overthinking all of that stuff. And mm. um, and the fact that they're up 2-0, I think, has surprised a lot of people because there was so many people taking Toronto in that series mm. that for the five over the four upset. Um, I don't know if that qualifies as surprising to me. I guess I'm surprised by how well that they're like how badly they're beating Toronto. Like it's not even it's not even close. Like Philadelphia's, you know, they're up 2-0 in the series. They're beating Toronto by an average of 17 and a half points a game. Mm-hmm. Um, they're outscoring the Raptors by 18, 19 points per game while Joel Embiid or per 100 possessions, I'm sorry. Uh, while Joel Embiid and James Harden share the floor. Like they're just awesome. Like they're just they they have better players and part of it is that Toronto doesn't have Scotty Barnes and they've been dealing with some, you know, nagging injuries and things like that but i just don't know that they have the personnel like uh, on the high end to win a playoff series against uh like kind of some blue bloods in philadelphia you know what i mean so 
Um, that's probably the most surprising thing. I wasn't that surprised with the the Minnesota Memphis. I got, I was surprised that Minnesota won the first game, but just like given that they shot, you know, 38% or whatever from three point range in Minnesota yeah. or, or and Memphis shot 26%. Like that's just going to happen. I don't, I don't know that we Minnesota before so the season that game before the series. Yeah. I said Minnesota was going to win. Like I said, this is a bad matchup. Yeah. I think Minnesota is winning that series. Like I, I said, know. this was something you had to bounce back from. The half court stuff with the Memphis Grizzlies is real. Like Jaw, what? How many free throws did he have in that game? Like he did everything. He was attacking. Yeah. He was awesome. But Jaron Jackson was a no show, and it's just their whole ceiling fa- falls on Jaron Jackson and whatever he is. And Desmond Bain's awesome, but those are all complimentary guys. Like Tyus Jones is awesome, complimentary guy. Like Jaron Jackson has to be the one who, yeah. like, when Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards are just busting you you've got to have that guy who steps up and steven adams got cooked by towns and and i said like that's a tough assignment like towns is a very tough assignment for steven adams like this is just a bad matchup for memphis i i still think minnesota's winning that series like they might have that would i just think they're built for it okay and and they like to shoot the three ball the fact that memphis Mm. didn't shoot the three ball well should not be surprising because they're not a three-point shooting team but uh, I I just think that Memphis can be so overpowering physically mm. that I have a hard time seeing them lose this series when I just know that there's a gear for them to get to uh, where Ja, Steven Adams, Jaron Jackson, Dylan Brooks, like all these dudes are Desmond Bain. They're just getting downhill and they're just beating the crap out of Minnesota because the one thing about the Timberwolves is it's a little bit like the Hawks, right? Where I, mm. I think the Timberwolves are... You know, they've got Patrick Beverly and you got that whole situation. But like if you Carl Anthony Towns, like if you kind of go at him, he tends to fold a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're still a they're they're a little far like they're kind of where Minnesota or they're Minnesota's where Memphis was last year. Didn't Memphis take the first game? Yeah. Um, was that Utah? It was because Utah. Because it was yeah. a very similar type thing. Minnesota, I could see them taking this first game off the emotional high and some three-point shooting and stuff like that. But I just, I still think Memphis is just the better team and they're more physical and they're just they're a little bit deeper. You're not wrong with the Stephen Adams and the and the the cat matchup, but maybe we see a little bit more of Jaron Jackson at at the five, maybe a little bit more Brandon Clark here and there, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more Xavier Tillman here and there, or something like that. But um, I just think that they have so many options in a way that Minnesota doesn't really have options. I think we'll know early on because I think if Every series, every game's tight. Like if we are checking in and it's like a four point game yeah. in the fourth quarter, every game, Minnesota's winning the series. Like with their closers and with Russell, with uh, Edwards and what he's playing like. Cause if he keeps this up or anything close in towns, it's like, oh, the, in a half court back and forth late in game and this game yeah. is close, then Memphis cannot do it. They cannot manufacture that offense in the half court. Like, Memphis needs some blowout wins. They need to destroy in transition, which is what they're so good at. Um, I think uh, Coach Thorpe, what did he coin them as? Like team uh, demolition or something? For something like that in a really good true piece. But it's steals. It's blocks. It's, like you said, overpowering them with physicality. Right. So all of that needs to happen in a really, really quick pace and just really steamrolling them early on, knocking them out, getting towns uncomfortable. But if every one of these games is close and the uh, the Timberwolves keep it within 10, every I just don't think the Grizzlies are built to win a series like that. I think until they get more out of Jaron Jackson in the half court late and they can do more stuff um, outside of Bane in the corner and being terrified of Bane in the corner and jaw driving and finding ways inside. But like 
Dylan Brooks could not be number two in usage offensively. Like mm-hmm. they just cannot advance that way. That's not that's not sustainable, which is what it's looked like early. I but I could be wrong. We'll we'll see. Um, what is your most likely first round upset? Mine is obviously Minnesota over Memphis. What is yours right now? Does does the, the Utah beating Dallas count? I know that the Jazz just imploded on themselves uh, yeah. last night, but uh, if Luca is out. For any longer, I could yeah. see, I could still see Utah winning, but that's like a four or five. And I don't even know if that counts as an upset, especially if mm-hmm. it's out. Like nobody, like you know, whatever. Uh, Brooklyn. I think people just want it out. People just want to see the Jazz blown up. They want them out. Like they. And you, not you're... fun to watch. I'm with them. I uh, I would much rather see Luca come back and watch Dallas in another series than yeah. watch the Jazz any any longer. I would agree. Bad vibes. Bad Luca vibes. wants to watch bad vibes. Nobody. Well, hold on. I love bad vibes. As someone who watches the ultimatum, like I'll watch bad <laughs> vibes and love is blind. Like who didn't love Messica? Like that was a bad vibe and it was a fun That's time. That's yeah. True. Bad vibes can be fun. <laughs> bad vibes uh, can be fun. You just don't want uh, it in your life, your personal life. You don't want the bad vibes personally, but watching someone go put dish out the bad vibes. Sometimes that can be fun. Right. I mean, you got like the Kyrie Boston thing. That was, yeah, that kind of qualifies as bad vibes, but that was fun. Yeah. Certain kinds of bad vibes you want but like it, it's sort of also like when you just it, it's like when you know that you have like a friend who's in a mm-hmm. relationship and you're just like this is going nowhere fast just break up with mm-hmm. him or her already just do it yeah and you just don't want to hang out with that person anymore mm-hmm. that's kind of what the utah jazz are interesting that that seemed like that was from recent experience west that was uh no actually but no <laughs> have you done that have you told a friend like this is going nowhere you gotta yes, you gotta i have done that yeah, I have done that several times. Yeah. Oh, I've never done that. I've never gotten involved because I the sports run is on something last because I'm like, what is my number one motto in life? Don't get involved. Never get involved. Like that's a their good motto. Bro- it's such a good motto. I stay out of all kinds of drama. I'm not involved. Like I don't care. It's your life, man. But if yeah. people give me advice, I'm like, I I didn't ask. I didn't ask. I I don't care. Uh, but right. thank you for dishing that out. Um, there you go. Marcus Smart, do you like him for defensive player of the year? Do you think that was no. the, the right call? Oh, no. Bam? No. I think it's ridiculous. Uh, Bam? I, w- I would have voted Bam. I would have. <laughs> okay. And that's not even just like the Homer thing. I just don't think that there was a better defensive player. I, I don't But it's also great games... for Miami. That just pissed him off, and now oh he's gosh. even more motivated. That's a great thing for Miami fans. Yeah, he's going to be like, all right, I wasn't defensive player of the regular season. I'll be defensive player of the playoffs. Like, right. That is his motivation. He said that much yesterday. But, um, like... The thing with Marcus Smart is, is he an awesome defensive player? Yes. Is he the best defensive guard in the league this year? Yeah, he is. Uh, but this whole boo-hoo guards never win defensive player campaign, mm-hmm. it just really, I didn't like it. Yeah, I didn't like it as a campaign. Credit to the Boston Celtics PR staff immediately or whoever came up <laughs> with it. Like, you should run the next president, like, because you you nailed it. Uh, it you, you swayed all the voters because you had Marcus Smart on ESPN saying, boo-hoo, guards never win all this stuff and you know what i'm okay with guards never winning i'm all right with it it's not defensive player of the year pound for pound it's defensive player of the year mm. and usually the taller guy is going to be the better defensive player sorry and they so also I- have tougher assignments like it's just they have to do more and like the yeah. Embiid's and the draymond's of the world like it's just different like you have to do a lot more and bam like you said like they do a lot more they carry a heavier, they carry a heavier load and all the stuff that marcus smart could switch one through five and it's like yeah he can bam could switch one through five too <laughs> and all of his numbers are better mm-hmm. on every position in every category, they're all better. Yeah. So you want to do the one through five switching argument? Go for it, but you better vote Marcus Smart second and Bam first. So 
that was my the other layer to this, and it was just the campaign thing. I just it really annoyed me this whole Celtics campaign because <laughs> they were pushing Robert Williams the third for mm. months. Hey, look, he couldn't even guard other centers, so we just made him guard power forwards, and now he's the defensive player of the year. He was the sole reason why our defense took off and all this stuff. And it was a big reason why it was a great coaching move by Ime and all that stuff. But uh, all this, like, hey, Robert Williams, defensive player of the year, we're pushing him, and then he gets hurt. And they're like, mm. actually. It's been Marcus Smart this entire time. It's been Marcus Smart all along. We were just vote him instead. And everybody was like, yeah, all right. Like all these dumb media members who voted for Marcus Smart were just like, Duh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You wanted me to do Rob Williams, and now I'll do Marcus Smart. Like whatever you want, Boston Celtics, like, whatever you want. It's fine. Uh, I just I, – I hated the campaign. Like sorry, stop crying about being a guard. Stop. Like you don't need defensive player of the year. You're going to be all – you're going to be first team all defense every year in perpetuity probably because everybody loves you that way. Um, you're doing the campaigning, you're crying about it, whatever. Just you should have won on merit, not on history. Like, oh, nobody's won since Gary Payton. Want to know why? Because you're probably not as good as the guy that's seven foot tall because you're six foot three. It's just the way it is. Sorry. Yeah, you have to be a special, special guard defensively. Like, Gary Payton was, spe- and I don't think any, like, <laughs> Marcus Smart's fine, but like, he's not what Gary Payton Gary was. Gary Payton but- won defensive player of the year that year because, and this isn't a perfect analogy, but it was a lot like why Steph won MVP. The first mm-hmm. time he did, uh, not the unanimous one, the one before that, where he was just like, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like this. Like, mm-hmm. just give him all the awards. Just give him the awards. And he was deserving of it, but it was sort of like that. Yeah. Where when Gary Payton won, nobody had ever seen a defender like that. Like, go mm-hmm. back and watch defense, like, those years. Nobody, like, was doing point-of-attack defense. Yeah. Nobody was, like, doing what Gary Payton was doing as far as picking up uh, half-court, full-court the way he was, being disruptive the way he was. All that stuff, like being a game changer defensively, like defense was just sort of the thing you did until you got back on offense. Mm-hmm. And and for a lot of the guards, I mean, and uh, it was sort of like every like the big guy's responsibility to be the defender. And that's why defensive player of the year went to guys with the most defensive rebounds and block shots for so many years. Um, it was just it was crazy like that you could make that kind of impact and and be that much of a disruptor defensively. Um, like Marcus Smart again, awesome defender. Nothing against him. But I just didn't like the campaign. It annoyed me. I would like to get like, I don't like award stuff anyway. Like this is like why it's just, it's such a waste of time. But I would also just, one of my dream jobs would be to just only have like, just to have this, um, have this, what is the term I'm looking for? Have this, uh, what is the term? Why am I blanking on this term? Um, Cache is the term I was looking for to just like text all the GMs and be like, all right, off the record, obviously, like in my group chat with all the GMs and coaches. And I'm just like, all right, um, just based on this season and what you've seen, like, obviously, I'm not going to say this. Uh, would you trade Jokic's season for Lucas right now? Like if you could say what you've seen from Luca this year, would you is uh, MVP? And they're like, oh, well, yeah, I would flip Jokic for Luca today. And you're like, OK, cool. But you can't say that publicly. You can't do that. Like you just do that where it's like schlink. It'll never come out. What about Atlanta? Never come out. Like, we're obviously very happy with Trey. But, like, what you've seen from Luca this year? MVP? <laughs> and then, like, I would just love that job where I'm, like, I would just to get the honest answer on the league and see what they think and where they're at with this stuff. Of like, hey, MA, did you see this from Tatum? Did, uh, like, it just, I would love that to be a reality. But, and then mm-hmm. just, like, Spo or Bam, like, personally, just text and be like, hey, Marcus Smart, does he actually do stuff oh, this, do you see stuff on film where it's like this man just gary payton all over him just strong gary payton right and they're like no we don't see that like or even Ime. do you think right. marcus smart's actually the best defensive player this season do you do you 
and I don't think he would say yes, but it's like, it's your guy. I, I don't, but that would be a fun, fun job. I, I would think love if you job. actually asked all the GMs across the league, just not even defensive player of the year, because all you get all the stats and the games played and all that stuff involved. But like, mm. who are the two best defenders in the NBA? Right. In some order, it would be Bam Adebayo and Draymond Green. Yeah. One or two switching. And I don't think, I don't think you would get other answers. I don't. Yeah. It's just boring. I think it's because they don't want to. They want to add uh, other layers. They want other people involved. They want to mix things up. It's like the reason that certain guys just can't win MVP over and over again. Like LeBron can't win MVP ten times. Like you just yeah. you have to start giving. Like it just for whatever reason the voter fatigue and just the you want to do something different. Marcus Smart is different, and it's a guard, and it's cool. And Boston will celebrate this forever it's like remember that year smart one defensive player of the year and was just they should hang a banner up they should just hang a banner up for this you know what honestly they should hang a banner up for this you campaigned so hard for marcus smart to win defensive player of the year you probably care more about that than actually winning the championship this year hang a banner up for marcus smart defensive player of the year you wanted it that bad it's ridiculous there you go um where are you at with the Kyrie thing uh as far as what the stuff with boston like I go back and forth. Like, it's funny. It's great content. I go back to the Darren Ravel tweet of like, I feel bad for our country, but this is tremendous content. Um, it's one of those old school things where like, yeah. I like that. I like that there is some, like so much of this league is so, I think this is just pro sports as a whole now where it's just so many guys are so buttoned up and they're all cool with each other. And it's just, <laughs> you want something different it's part of the reason that trey is so much fun is like trey right. loves being a villain like he really does love new york city and cleveland and everyone else just saying f trey young like he right. loves that he loves that um that's a cool thing but some people go the other way like Kyrie and trey are wired completely differently and right. Kyrie like was going off in that second half like he should like what he did in that game because they lost people will forget about it but Kyrie was otherworldly and he's yeah. just another world talent but like I don't know. I go back and forth on this where I'm like the people who are like, oh, because Kyrie gets upset and he's like, what am I supposed to do? And they're just it's a lot to ask of us to deal with this thing. And it's like, I get where you're coming from. But there are guys who like Trey, you put him in that Brooklyn spot. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, yeah, great. Like, whatever you want, like shower me, throw whatever at like whatever you want. I'm still going to keep doing what I want to do. Right. And it's just I think Kyrie is wrong there. But I also understand of like, man, I don't know how I keep my cool under this. Like, I don't know how, like I would, I, I'm not saying I would do exactly that kind of stuff. And there are different things. Cause there was like five different things that happened after that game. And during that game with Kyrie, but it is interesting. Cause we're only through game one and this is already tensions are through the roof and right. the narrative is wrong. Jay King had a really good summation on the athletic NBA show about like what actually happened between the two of them. And like the divorce, it's like Celtics fans aren't mad that Kyrie left like that. Kyrie has it in his head that he's mad that they left, that he left. And it was like, no, 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 no. They wanted you out at the end of this. Like they were, they were over this whole experience, right. but like, that's not what happened. You can just say like, they don't like you, but that's not the reason why like that. Not because you've left Boston. That is not what happened there. Um, so I just mad think at him because of what he did while he was still in Boston, not correct. showing up in playoff games. Like, and that's so I when I have to evaluate any sort of Kyrie situation, which unfortunately mm -hmm. it feels like every other month there's like something right. new that people like need to have a take on Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I come from a place of being biased against Kyrie Irving because he annoys mm -hmm. the crap out of me. Mm -hmm. He just annoys me. If you want to be super woke, dude, that's really cool. Um, 
if you think you shouldn't be labeled just a basketball player, I'm all for it. I'm I'm here for it. I'm mm-hmm. here for it. Totally here for it. Uh, but if you're getting paid a contract to play basketball, you should probably do that. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't he doesn't really do that as much as he probably should. Um, and and this whole like taking a stand against the the vaccine and stuff. And I don't want to get into all that, but like it just I never knew what he stood for. And it kind of I just this whole like anti-establishment thing without. It's a rebel without a cause, and nobody likes that guy. And mm. I could, I could, I can't even imagine being his teammate. Like you hear mixed reports, like I love being his teammate, and I can't stand this guy. He's so weird, and I don't know what to do with him. And I just like all I know is if I worked with that guy, I would hate him. That's all I know. And um, so admittedly, I come from a place of with everything being annoyed with him. Mm. That said, I will never take a Celtics fan's point of view. I'll just, <laughs> I'll never take a Celtics fan side on this stuff. Um, but he's right. Like, it's just like this lack of self-awareness with Kyrie because he's like, oh, you know, I burned him and they want me back so bad and all this. It's like, whatever you got to believe to like get yeah. out of bed and have a great game, like do it. Like bulletin board material, we all hear it. Every every basketball player, every professional athlete uses it, just sort of makes up stuff yeah. to just kind of get him motivated. So that's not new here, but uh, it's just- He's like not going to say like that commercial was a bad idea. Like it's not going to be like, wow, I, that's no, he's probably like, good. I have the right to make my own commercials. And if you <laughs> took that literally, then that's your fault. And it's like, dude, no. you literally, like, it's, it, it, it's, it's so crazy how much like backwards thinking and like revisionist history goes on in Kyrie Irving's brain. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing that it's like, that's one thing I just don't have patience for is a lack of self-awareness. It's just, and then I you don't watch the games it. and you're like, it's amazing. Like, yeah, if you he gotta, was just, you gotta respect them. You gotta like respect the basketball skills. You're like, I can't yeah. believe what this guy is doing. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is coming by the way, from a person who like, I used to ball in the Kyrie Irving Nikes. Right. Mm. And eventually like he got to Brooklyn. I was like, for like, I can't even, I can't even look at these shoes anymore. I just, wait, so out. what are you, what are you doing now? Where, where are you at now? What are you rocking? I, um, what am I wearing now? I wear like the generic, uh, I forgot what they're called, but they're not, they're not a player. What? Starburst, Star- I wish. <laughs> I was actually looking for like the old Converse D Wade's like a couple months ago and I couldn't find okay. them. Um, I've been thinking about, I used to wear the Hardens, but I think my foot is too wide. Uh, okay. So I started getting blisters. Um, I've read that the LeBrons are really good for people with feet like huh. mine. So I might go there, but I kind of like the low tops. The high tops are just too much for me to pull off. I liked, I mean, before my, I got aged out of pickup because my knees were just done. And I was like, yeah. I, I'm hurting myself too much. This is, this is a problem. Like I cannot, my knees can no longer handle this. Um, the LeBron high tops. Cause like, I, I love those because I, I didn't think I would like them cause they're heavy. And I was right. like, I don't think it's going to, it's going to constrict me, but it was actually keeping me from doing dumb shit in my, uh, <laughs> in the low tops and like the KDs or the Kobe's like the Kobe's you just fly and you don't feel right. like you're wearing Good shoes. Finding them though. <laughs> exactly. can't find them anymore yeah no uh nba players i'm noticing like the pgs were the most popular shoe and now a lot of people are grabbing are really? towards the Giannis's. yeah i see huh. so many guys in the Giannis shoes um the zoom freaks or whatever yeah. they're called um those I, I i see more pgs and more zoom freaks than i probably see any other shoe right now that's wild but probably lebron's and katie or no i should say the kobe's are number one hmm. but beyond like once you get past the kobe tier it's a lot of PGs. It's a lot of Zoom freaks, and then it's probably the LeBrons and uh, the Durants. Do you think you be you, you went hard at the teammate aspect of Kyrie? Who would you be more annoyed about though, being your teammate, Jimmy Butler or Kyrie Irving on a day to day basis? 
at least with Jimmy Butler, you know where you stand. <laughs> like there's there's a consistency in his wildness, right? Where with yeah. Kyrie, you're just like, I don't even know this guy's gonna show up to work today. Yeah. That's the craziest thing. It's like you wouldn't operate any other business in the world the way that the Brooklyn Nets did. Like, mm. it's just like, yeah, we're going to put everything we have on this guy. And I know what I, I get it. Like, you had to sign him to bring in Kevin Durant. And you'd make that trade 100 times out of 100. But it's just. But you also I have don't know. Harden I, I, if Kyrie's not Kyrie. Like, if Kyrie just gets the shots and he plays all year, like, Harden doesn't get frustrated with the right. usage and what he has to do. Like, it's amazing how little things, but there's no con. Like, there's no talk about that. Like the reason they had to move on from, and they're in that seven spot is because Kyrie didn't yeah, play. And now games. Kyrie's using it again is like the, the, the lack of self-awareness is like, right. oh, New, New York city was against me. And we're in this eighth seed because of COVID or whatever. It's because I couldn't get the vaccine. He's like, no dude, you could have gotten the vaccine. Yeah. You really gave us no reason why you weren't ever getting the vaccine. You just said you weren't going to do it. Uh, and you literally said, I'm not anti-vax. And yeah. Like, All right. Well then I don't really see the reason why you're not getting it. So um, I, I never really got it. And then the whole idea, like I was just standing up for the people without voices and everything like that. The New York was like, yeah, only basketball players and Broadway actors can return to indoor workspaces. But like the rest of indoor workers, like low wage workers who don't have who don't have a voice, who aren't like on TV or on a stage, they still can't do it. And and Kyrie's like, no, that works for me. Yeah, I'll go back. Like, okay, so who who without a voice? Who who were you helping? I don't I don't get it. Um, And just. (laughs) back to the Jimmy Kyrie thing. Like I'm with the guy that shows up to work every day. Jimmy shows Mm -hmm. up to work every day. Is he an asshole sometimes? Yeah. But at least Kyrie, like, I don't even know if he's showing up to work today. So how do I rely on this guy? Um, Yeah. I think teammates like him, like bam. In that interview with JJ, you can tell he loves Jimmy or like, it's just one of those things where Jimmy is, he's consistent. Jimmy Butler is consistent. He kind of reminds me of Baker Mayfield and people are like, Oh, Baker Mayfield. It's like, Baker Mayfield and Jimmy, both guys, Texas guys, uh, came from nothing in a sense of like they were always been like he was a forgotten Texas Tech quarterback. He chip on his shoulder, undersized, like people just did not believe him, did not take him seriously, bounced around, goes to Oklahoma, wins a Heisman. And you're like, oh, Baker Mayfield, number one pick over. Like no one saw that coming. Like no one. He had to have this like it's me against the world. Jimmy Butler, Marquette, his situation uh, before that and just busting his ass the way to get to where he wants to be. I don't know. I think they're wired the same kind of way. Jimmy Butler, more talented, I think. But um I don't know. I think it's just one of those where I think it breeds respect from teammates. Like if you're a coach, I think it'd be more like Rocky Waters we saw with Spo mm-hmm. in that altercation. But you hear Bam's explanation after it's like we have to have that. We have to have that all the time. And sometimes the volatility uh, gets a little bit too much. But like that's how we have to be to be the number one seed in the East. Like if you want us to be who we are, this is our ethos. Like we have to have this kind of vibe. We talked about vibes and bad vibes early on, but like it's not a bad vibe. It's just a highly volatile incubator that they've created that wins a lot of basketball games and it just sometimes spirals out a little bit but then they jump back in they're like yeah that's us like we're we're that's just who we are yeah i thought um i actually thought that was an interesting media story too because they were trying to kind of dismiss it a little bit after oh you just see us in practice and stuff and it's like all right well this is yeah this is it wasn't in practice. It was in a regular season game and you're supposed to have a little bit more composure. Like this is why you don't like you can yell fire in your own home, but you can't yell fire in a movie theater for a reason. Like there's just different rules in public spaces. You have to be a little bit more composed. Mm. Uh, and you obviously were not. And you knew that the cameras were going to pick that up. Like you were in the middle of a basketball game in, in an arena with 19,000 people. Um, 
but it kind of did serve as something that they needed a little boost, a little wind in the sails where I think a lot of teams would have crumbled. They actually used it as something to, again, it was just sort of made up bulletin material for them, bulletin board material. Like they're like, all right, we all fought with each other and now we're going to be motivated by this somehow. And it's like, all right, like congrats to you guys for figuring out that mind Jedi mind trick on yourselves. But um, it's worked, you know, they literally have not lost a game. Uh, well, that's not true. They lost two more games after that, and then they made the rotation changes. They haven't, and they haven't lost a game that mattered since. We'll end on this. Where do you see this season ending for the Miami Heat, based on where they're at? I think, yeah, I think we're in agreement that they make it through this Hawk series. Yeah. And if you get Philadelphia, like the Joel and Bead matchup in Harden with this group will be will be fun. Jimmy Butler's going to enjoy that oh, yeah. back and forth, and I'm sure we'll get all kinds of stories and the mutual respect, obviously, between Embiid and Jimmy. But do you see this team being a Finals team? I see them being an Eastern Conference Finals team, and I think it depends on who they see there. Okay, who do you who do you think they would rather see? Miami or excuse me, uh, Boston or Milwaukee? Um, well, I think they would prefer Brooklyn, but uh, assuming okay. that Brooklyn doesn't get there, if it's between Milwaukee and Boston, I think they would prefer. I think they would prefer to see Milwaukee. I have no idea who I would prefer, hmm. but I think they would prefer to see Milwaukee because I think they have a little bit of a there's like a little bit of chip on their shoulder, like a revenge thing. I think they would really get up for that series. Not to say that they wouldn't for the Celtics series, but they also beat the Celtics two years ago in the Eastern Conference Finals with the BAM block. Um, but I think they would prefer Milwaukee. Hmm. Uh, I don't know who they would have a better chance against between Milwaukee and Boston. That's a good point. I don't know either. I would say they have a better shot against Milwaukee. But I'm probably with you on that I because I just don't love Milwaukee's depth this right. year. Must be Matthews is starting playoff year. games right now. Yeah, and there's just not if they're like if they're not making threes the way they were last year. I just I don't know. It's not even a Miami thing. I just if they're not making threes the way they did last year, I think that they could lose to Boston in the conference finals or something. Like and you that, know, Bud's not adjusting not like to Miami, like, like he's not adjusting no. to what Miami's running. So if Miami's just burying them from three, it's like they're not going to change. Like they're going to keep playing their style. So. I don't know. I, I think I would rather get Milwaukee in that situation. I'm probably than, with you. Um, there you go. Wes Goldberg, what uh, what can the good folks check out from you across the Locked On Network and everything else this week? Um, Locked On Heat, Monday through Friday, if you're interested in daily heat content. Locked On NBA every Friday morning. Um, and then uh, just general thoughts, I guess, on Twitter at WC Goldberg. And find me in the next season of The Ultimatum. There you go. Are you uh, – is that is – that... I hope everything's yeah. all right. At everything's home, fine. Like a... I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> Who would be more likely? Would it be you or your uh, your significant other? Well, we're already engaged. So I that's guess what I'm saying. No... But like who? Uh, no, they're engaged too. Like the ultimatum is like they've been engaged for a while and oh. a lot and they're not doing anything about it. Or like, oh, it's like that long engagement situation. I think some of them like that. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm misremembering, but I'm pretty sure at least one or two of them were engaged or have had the conversation and they're not doing anything about it. And right. they want them to either propose now or get off the pot. Okay. Well, <laughs> I've already got the venue and everything. <laughs> so, oh, so, like I don't think the ultimate. Throw the, the significant other under the bus. You're like, I've been ready to go. I'm the planner. Yeah, I'm getting this thing in motion. Oh, I am yeah. not the planner. I just I said yes to everything. I'm saying yes to everything. I have zero chance of being on this show. <laughs> 
it's not a good i mean i guess it is a good career move because like tiktok and everything else you just become like a brand ambassador and like your followers all across Honestly, the board the, the influencer thing yeah reality tv because you just you could tell like people yeah, that go they on know. this thing and they just want to be influencers and it's just like yeah. all right cool you're hot that's your skill all right whatever i couldn't do that could you imagine introducing yourself i'm an influencer no i just it's almost like introducing yourself and being like what do you do i have a podcast <laughs> Leave me alone, Wes. Leave me alone. It's the best I can do. It's real. It's honest. That's what I do. I'm proud of the podcast. Yeah. Okay. You have to tell people, like, no, these are my sponsors. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, you're for real. All right. Yeah, you got to say, like, who you're with, and you have to find, like, yeah. how did, oh, God. I, my parents and people still explaining what I do for a living is is a tough thing. And they're like, oh, yeah. wait, what? You can do what? Okay. And you're with who? And how does that work? You're you have ads? What? Yeah. Like, no, it's YouTube. No. It's so do you have a radio? Like, is it? Uh, nope. Okay. Can you listen in? Okay. Yeah. This, it, it never ends. That's our future, Wes. Like that's yep. going to be the rest of our lives. Um, Wes Goldberg, thank you so much for the time. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to check back in again soon. Yeah. Thanks, Chase. All right. We're back here on the Chase Thomas podcast where I am now joined by a first timer. You know, it's funny, Kian. So you have in your um, your avatar here, or not even avatar, your nameplate right here uh, above me. My best friend growing up, he, I swear his like, his Twitter name and Instagram name was your boy Q, but it was Quincy, not Kian. So it's a very different thing. So I'm seeing that I'm getting like some crazy deja vu seeing that. But how is it going, sir? It's going really well. And the thing about it is anyone who has a name that starts with a Q is always going to just be named Q. I mean, it's just a matter of fact, it's just always dumbed down to the letter Q. And so, yeah, there's a small group of us, but I am one of them. So that's that's what happened. I think mine, I think I became Q in like third grade. So there you go. <laughs> third grade. Okay. Yeah, it starts early, man. It starts early. Once you have a name that starts with a Q, it starts early. You can't help yourself. It's a wrap. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, it. yeah, I... I guess I don't really have to go with any like Chase, like Chase isn't my legal name, but um, I've always gone by Chase. It's not like I have some alias or anything, but um, yeah, different, uh, different things. But how is it going, man? You have a whole new administration in Vegas. Uh, 2021 was a crazy season for the Las Vegas Raiders for a multitude of reasons, but now you've, you've turned the page like this is a, a whole brand new operation new gm new head coach new coaching staff new wide out but Derek carr gets his extension um there is it, just the afc west next year is just going to be must see television like where are you at with the raiders has this just been a crazy crazy offseason for you to to follow and be a part of I'll tell you what, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, that's for sure. It's been a lot of fun. You didn't know what was going to happen at the end of the season. You didn't know if Rich Bisaccia was going to stay on as the head coach. Didn't know if Mike Mayock was going to stay on as a GM. And then once that move was made that they weren't going to be retained, then it's like, okay, well, who's going to come in? You heard mm -hmm. a lot of rumors about Jim Harbaugh. You heard a lot of rumors about other guys. And then ultimately, Mark Davis decides on Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, both from New England. And you start thinking, okay, and a lot of Raider fans were upset at first. It's like, oh, my gosh, how can you have Patriots in the organization? But, look, it's been it's been a ton of fun, you know. I mean, Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels and Champ Kelly as well, the assistant GM comes over from the Bears. It's like it's, they just kind of has, have been moving in slow – not slow motion, but they've been moving quietly 
and they've been making big moves, you know? So it's like, there's not a bunch of chest pounding talking about, Oh, going to go make this move. Going to do this. Oh, that was a great move. It's just like, yeah, go get Chandler Jones. Yeah. Go trade for Devonte Adams. Yeah. Extend Max Crosby. Yeah. Extend their, their car. Everything's good. It's just like, everything is looking like it's coming together. And that, that's been my biggest thing is, I don't know what the plan is because I don't know this new regime. So I have to kind of sit back and watch, but you kind of see that plan coming together and it's been pretty awesome. So this, this off season has been a lot of fun, no drama. And that's something that we've been seeing a lot of drama in the off season, the past few uh, off seasons around the Raiders. So it's been a pleasant surprise not to have any of that this year. What are you going to miss most about the previous administration in terms of coverage? Was there something about them that like you think it's going to be different with Ziegler and McDaniels? Do you think it's going to be less, uh, maybe not less insight, but maybe just it seems like different personality types across the board with this administration versus the last one. Is there uh, going to be a lot of changes on that front? I mean, there could be, you know, that was one of the things I thought when Josh McDaniels took over, I thought, oh man, the, you know, we're not going to get as much access yeah we got before with Gruden and Mayock and look, we didn't get a ton with them anyway, but hmm. you know, they, they had the, the off season, uh, you know, sign up or not sign up, but uh workouts that began uh, on the, what was it last week, last Monday mm-hmm. at this point, uh, it started off and I thought that they, we were going to be at the facility. I thought we were going to talk to the head coach. I thought we were going to talk to some of the players and there was nothing. They just said, no, there's no, 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 no access. So, okay, that's fine. So, I mean, not a big deal. It's voluntary anyway. I mean, it doesn't really matter. They're not out there popping pads or anything. So uh, it's just, it's just different. It's something to get used to. Uh, for me personally, I think it's, it's different only because I was a Gruden guy. Like I, I, I really like John Gruden. I was a big fan of him uh, as a kid growing up as, as a Raider fan. I was just a big fan of, of who he is and what he brought to the table. But I feel like this new regime is has got the goods, man. I feel like this new regime regime has really figured out what they want to do and how this team could take the next step. And I'm excited to see what comes. So, I mean, the old's out and and that's fine. And no disrespect to them. They were cool. Mike Mayock was great to cover. He was uh, fantastic when he talked to us, but now it's a new, it's a new chapter of Raider history. So uh, let's embrace it. Let's see how it goes and, and see what this team could do. It seemed like kind of a, a, but like, it's so interesting to think about like how game, like, when you look at the Raider season and you look at what Rich was able to do down the stretch for this group, keep them together, make the playoffs, the team that they lose to in the playoffs ultimately goes to the Super Bowl. It was a great game. Uh, it was a fun game uh, against the Bengals on the road. And obviously we're right there until the end. If the Raiders win that game, the Raiders get one playoff win with Rich and that group. Do you think Rich and Mayock are both still in charge this season? I don't think so. Okay. I, I, and I, I said this during the regular season that I don't think that Rich Basaccia was a head coach. I okay. thought he was, I thought he did a good job with the team. I think he did a great job with the team. Honestly, um, what they were able to do in 2021 with all the adversity that they had to deal with. And they were able to overcome that led by Derek Carr. And of course, Rich Basaccia, Mike Mayock, they all pressed a bunch of but- great buttons. But the reality is when you're an interim head coach, usually that's who you are. You're an interim head coach. And so, uh, I thought that he deserved an opportunity to be a head coach in the league, but you see where he's at right now. He's a special teams coach in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if the rest of the league looked at him and was like, man, that's one hell of a head coach, he probably would be a head coach. I think yeah. everyone in the league said, man, that was a great job he did, but he's a special teams coach. And that's not bad. He's a really good special teams coach, and I respect the hell out of him. A lot of people thought that I didn't like him because I said he's not going to be the head coach of 2022. I just felt like once you're an interim, you're always an interim. You're not going to be the guy unless you just overwhelm, you know, the league or whatever. I just, I just felt like Mark Davis wanted to get some good foundation, not 
really react and, and be emotional about the way that the season shook out and, and really sit back and think, okay, how can this team, how can the next leader of this team take it to the next level? Would that be Mayock and Basaccia, or is that someone from the outside looking in? And he ultimately went with Ziegler, and he ultimately went with Josh McDaniels, two guys who don't have Raider ties, two guys who are not the Raider way or whatever you want to say about it, but two guys that feel like they can go into this organization and really – make it do what it do, you know, take it to the next level. And that's what's most important. Who's going to be the best and who's going to make the most sense for the long term? And he felt like it was Dave Ziegler and company. And right now it looks like he was right. Were you surprised that Mark Davis pulled from the Patriots tree? No, no, okay. not at all. Um, just because they've had so much, you know, winning tradition. And I think that he wants to get there. And, and be an organization that's consistently in the playoffs and consistently in the hunt like the Patriots are. I think that even while Gruden was in charge and, and Mayock was in charge, I think they were starting to do some things that they felt like were very Patriot-like. But hmm. it like just what? didn't hit the right But Well, they would go and they would draft a guy that, you know, maybe is not high on everyone else's draft board, but, mm. you know, made sense for the team. And the Patriots would do stuff like that. They also would, you know, try to get a guy and say, hey, uh, we could replace this guy instead of paying him his free agency money. We could replace him with someone uh, right behind us, you know, right behind them because they we have enough talent behind them, which really it didn't work out that way. But I just felt like they were making some moves that they thought were very Patriot like, you know, and they were grabbing a couple guys. They went and grabbed Trent Brown that came over from the Patriots and that didn't work out. And, you know, I just it just seemed like there was a certain, you know, certain element of maybe they're trying to be Patriot esque, but it, it just it just didn't work out the way that they wanted it to. And so. Uh, a lot of it blew up in their face. But I'll tell you, the one thing the new regime did that was great was, or the old regime did, excuse me, that was great, was they grabbed a lot of later round picks that are key contributors to the team right now. I mean, you're looking at Max Crosby, Hunter yeah. Renfro, Nate Hobbs. I mean, those are just three, just a name, you know, and that's a that's a fourth round pick and two fifth round picks, you know, and those, those guys are, are key contributors to the team. So uh, they did some good things. They just weren't able to see it through. And, and that was just because it just didn't shake out the way they wanted it to. If you're a fantasy guy, so for all my fantasy folks listening, or they're they're wondering because it's like we'll get to Devontae Adams in a second, but you got Devontae Adams in the building now. Darren Waller, another great find, like someone we also did mention, Darren Waller right. just becoming right. an elite tight end in this league. But you have Waller, you have um, Devontae Adams now, but Hunter Renfro, as you mentioned, kind of Derek Carr's favorite guy underneath in that Bengals game. It was just he was down to Hunter Renfro. Like that was his his guy. He was like, I don't know where else to go with the football. Then no one else is open. This is all I can do. And with Devontae Adams in with Waller on the field, like that's they're going to command a lot of attention. So if you're a fantasy guy, are, are you encouraging folks to be like, hey, um, it, whatever the ender is that week on Hunter Renfro catches, go ahead and take the over on that one every single week because I feel like this man is going to feast this season in McDaniel's scheme. And with the weapons around him that like anyone who doesn't know who Hunter Renfro is yet. And that's just because they didn't watch the 19 years he was at Clemson. It's they're going to know about him now. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I would think, I think so. I mean, you look at what Josh McDaniels has done with the slot receiver over the years, yeah. on top of years on top of years there in new England. And I think that Hunter Renfro is just as good as any of them, if not better. So yeah, I think that he's going to be a key contributor. I don't think he's going to have as many catches as he had last season, but he really, had- no, I don't think he'll have that many catches, but I think he'll be a better player. You know huh. what I mean? I think I think he'll have more production than he had last year, not with as many catches, because now you have 
Devontae Adams. Now you mm-hmm. have Darren Waller. You have these guys in the mix. So I think that it's going to be more uh, distributed, but I think the production will be bigger. I just think that it won't always, like you mentioned, uh, in the playoff game, it was like, got to get it to Renfro, got to yep. get it to Renfro. This time it won't be that way. I mean, because you can't leave Darren Waller open and double Devontae and double. I mean, it's like there's like pick your poison. You know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Who do you who do you pick? Who do you cover? Who do you make sure is taken away from the game? I think that that's the difference, and I think that Josh McDaniels is going to put him in a, a position to succeed. I think he's going to really be effective in the red zone like he has been the past couple seasons, but I think he's going to be even a bigger contributor. But I think that the plays he makes are going to be go for more yards than they even went in 2021. So I think you're going to see a lot of Hunter Renfro. I just don't think the catches, as many catches, are going to be there this upcoming year. All right. Derek Carr, guy who has been he he's been consistent year over year. Um, we've seen the MVP type year years ago. That's the Jack Del Rio year, where it was like, oh, this is a different like he's he's a different kind of guy, and he can right. be that kind of quarterback. But then he kind of he kind of changed a little bit. He went to more of the Hunter Renfro. He wasn't going deep as much as people would have liked, and it was frustrating a lot of people. But the dude was just efficient year over year. He's not someone who's going to cost you games. But there was still just something you were like, all right, we've got to unlock that. And unfortunately, what happened with Henry Ruggs, like that was something that they used to address that need of like just the guy who can take uh, defenses over the top. And like that was an option. But now that's out and we don't have to relitigate that horrific situation and just all. Yeah, just horrible situation for everybody involved. And now Derek Carr gets the extension, though, and you can just kind of put this to bed at least, right? Where it just seems like the last couple of years, you're just like, is this it for Carr in Vegas? Is he a long-term Raider quarterback? Because it seems like even from the beginning, nobody was really sure if he was the long-term answer. And it, it then it's like, man, this is now one of the longest tenure quarterbacks at his position for right. one team. And it just he's just consistent. He just kept his job and kept his job and kept doing what he needed to do. Last year was kind of his re-coming out party in a lot of ways. And then he gets the extension, but then he has to look around. He's like, hold on. I got Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson, and Patrick Mahomes in my division now. So it's like, I feel bad for the guy that he just, he he takes these steps forward. And then it, he, they trade for Devontae Adams for him. And then he just looks around and he's like, man, this is like the worst team in this division, or I guess record-wise worst team. They should, they could be the best team in the AFC South. Like that is the discrepancy between this division and like how, insane it's going to be come playoff time that certain teams in this division don't make the playoffs and other teams do it's gonna be tough but like Derek Carr got paid and he has his guy his Fresno State guy but are you now like certain like is this something where Derek Carr there is no questions about it Josh McDaniels wants Carr he believes in Carr this ownership group the front office we're all in we think he can get us to the Super Bowl we're building around him for the foreseeable future part of the Josh McDaniels hiring was that like you're good with Derek Carr for the foreseeable future like you believe you can get a Super Bowl win with Derek Carr is that is that where they're at I think so I mean I really do they give him a three-year extension but I mean ultimately if they want to they can get out of it after this year I mean if you look Mm -hmm. at the nuts and bolts of it they could get out of it I don't think that they will but I think that they give themselves an out just in case something goes terribly wrong so uh, I think that everything is in place for them mm-hmm. to have. And I, I really believe that the Raiders have put themselves in a position where they have a three-year window. If you look at the contract for Devontae Adams, you look at the contract for Carr, they have a lot of guaranteed money tied up in the next three years. So I feel like the Raiders are saying, okay, the next three seasons, we're going to find a way to get it done. 
Mm-hmm. If we don't get it done in the next three seasons, then okay, then we'll go back to the drawing board. But I think that this team believes that they can go and win the whole damn thing in the next three seasons. And I'm okay with that because even if they don't, I, I feel confident that, hey, at least they gave their fan base the, the, the you know, the, the showing and that, hey, this is what we believe. This is what we're going for. This is what we're shooting for, which is going to fire your fan base up. So uh, I do believe that they believe in Derek Carr. Uh, I do think he can win games. I think he can win the Super Bowl. I really do. I mean, you saw Matt Stafford win it last year. Uh, the Rams put great players around him, and he did some great things. And I think the same thing is, could be said for the Raiders. I don't think Matt Stafford's that much better than Derek Carr, if at all. I really don't. I think that they're kind of similar. But I know some people will disagree with that. That's okay. I'm all right with that. Um, I just think if you put the right players around him, you, you protect him, give him a run game, be all right and by the way josh mcdaniels is a damn good play caller so i think that that's another position you know another uh element of this that'll help out so uh yeah i I think that they're they're good with him i think that they're uh happy with who they have and what they can do with them they just want to go out there and see it so that's kind of why they've given themselves out in the contract if they have to but ultimately man he took a he took a really team-friendly deal and still allows the team to have a little bit of wiggle room to still uh, make additions to the team. Most likely, probably going out and get a right tackle, a veteran right tackle, or just adding a couple guys to it that you know to the mix to add some competition because that offensive line still needs to be improved. But I mean, hey, it's come a long way from recent years. The offensive line. I mean, some of those early Mayock, like who was the reach? Was it Colton Miller? Was the reach early? Like, and um, no, I mean he ended up working out really well. He no, was. That's uh, what I'm saying. But he was like yeah. a controversial pick at the time, where people were like, "Oh, you reached on Colton Miller." I don't know if we like that at that spot. And then he's been right. nothing but solid. Yeah, yeah, he's been solid. I think the big question is Alex Leatherwood, who was their first mm. round draft pick last season. They got him to be the right tackle. They kicked him in the guard. I don't know what the new regime's going to do. Are they going to? keep him at guard? Are they going to push him back out to tackle and see if he can he can figure it out? I don't know. I personally feel like he's a guard, and I think that they need a veteran at the right tackle position, but that's just me. They're, they're the smart guys in the room that are the football guys, so they can figure it out and see what they want to do, but I think that they need a veteran right tackle to go next to Leatherwood and and make him, you know, make him a little bit better than he even is. So uh, we'll see. We'll see, but that's, that's the big question for me is can that offensive line get solidified? If it can, uh, the Raiders have a puncher's chance in the division. You mentioned it. The division's tough. Every team is really sticking good. Kansas City's won it forever, so they're already the leaders in the clubhouse. The Chargers, they went and added a ton to the roster. Uh, the Broncos went and added Russell Wilson. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to love about the division. There's also a lot to not like about the division if you're a team in the division. Like, man, those are two tough games every single, uh, you know, week. You know, you're going to play three different teams twice a, a week that or twice a year that's going to be uh, tough wins. You know, I think every team in the AFC West is going to beat up on each other, but uh, it should be fun. Should be fun to watch how it shakes out, and if you uh, you know have a team that's worth half a salt, you have a puncher's chance to win that game. Yeah, and it's gonna be great television. I think it's, as a fan, you want to compete, and it's not gonna be one of the situations where it's like we don't belong in the same field. It's just like, right. oh, this is a fun. It's a SEC football in a way where you're just like, yeah, this is part of the appeal of just being like every game matters, and our division is better than everybody else's in the country, and like it means more if we can survive this division. Like it's. Right. I, we don't have to relitigate the rivalries here with the Raiders and Broncos and Chiefs and stuff like that. But I, uh, I'm curious, what do you think is going to be the best reason for success between McDaniel's and Carl? Like, what will be the what will you see change wise with the offense going from Olsen's scheme to what he ran this past year to what McDaniel's is going to do for Carr? How do you think he's going to set Carr up for potential for more potential success? I just think the play calling is going to be better. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's real simple. I mean, the Raiders did great between the 20s, but in the red zone, they stunk. 
I mean, mm-hmm. it was terrible. Their red zone offense was awful. They kicked more field goals than they needed to, and you're not going to win a lot of games like that, especially with the firepower that you're going up against in the AFC West. So you've got to score touchdowns, and I think that McDaniel's is really good. I know he's really good. If you go back and look at what he's done with New- in New England, he's really mm-hmm. good at calling plays in the red zone. That's the key, you know. When uh, when Carr was calling the plays from Gruden's playbook and everyone else's playbook. There was a lot of sideline to sideline passes and a lot of, uh, you know, trying to get the running back eight, nine yards out, trying to get him in the end zone. I think you're going to see a lot of McDaniels calling up passes that go into the end zone. I think there's going to be, a, 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 you know, a, a, like definition on detail or, you know, attention to detail as far as getting in the end zone. And that's another reason for the Devontae Adams uh, acquisition. That's a guy who is phenomenal in the red zone. I mean, you can't cover him one-on-one when you're down close by the goal line. He's going to shake you, and he's going to get open. And that's uh, that's going to be probably where Devontae Adams really shows what his worth is more than anything is in the red zone. Then you still have Waller. You have Renfro. I don't know how much Brian Edwards is going to be involved in the in the offense, but he's there as well. Then Josh Jacobs, you can add him to the mix. He's a guy that can find the end zone. He's had 28 touchdowns in three seasons, so it's not like he's you know uh, afraid to get in the end zone. He can do that, but – he shouldn't be your first, second, and third option. He should be sprinkled into the mix, not just the only option that the Raiders had, and they've had that the last couple of years. So uh, I'm excited about Josh McDaniels and his red zone play calling. I think that's really going to help things uh, with the Raiders in their, in their scoring. And uh, if they could score a little bit more, if they can hit you know one touchdown more a game instead of a field goal, then like I said, I feel like they have a good chance to win any of these games that they're going to be uh, in with the AFC West uh, opponents. Where do you have the AFC quarterbacks in one through four? How would you rank them going into the season? I don't even know. I mean, Mahomes, I got to give him the benefit of the doubt and let him be number one. Uh, I can argue that Justin Herbert and and uh, and Derek Carr are close to, you know, close to kind of the same dude. And I, I'll give Russell Wilson a little bit more props just because it's Russell Wilson he's won a Super Bowl. But I'll tell you, he hasn't been that guy for some for some years now. Russell Wilson hasn't been the dude. He hasn't won a Super Bowl since he had a killer defense and a great run game. I mean, let's just be honest about the situation. He wants to cook, but cooking hasn't won them a Super Bowl. Mm. When he had the opportunity to throw the the touchdown pass at the goal line and got picked. So I mean, uh, I just I think that they're really close. Uh, I'll just I'll, I'll just go with um, Mahomes first, and I'll say that Wilson and and uh, and and Herbert and Carr are kind of you know like second, and then two guys battling for third. But Herbert's damn good. Herbert's yeah. He's going to be great. You know, I, mean, I think he still has a little bit of learning to do. And I think there's something to be said about Carr and the longevity he's had with the team. You mentioned it earlier. I mean, there's only one other guy in the league that's been with the same team is longer than Carr. That's Aaron Rodgers. And that, yeah. says, that says something about, about what Derek Carr has been able to do. So uh, I don't want to discredit him because the, the wins might not be there. Uh, for all the love for Matt Stafford, I think that people need to give the love to Derek Carr as well. So I think, I think these guys are very, very close in the AFC West. I really do. Interesting. I um, I'm I'm excited to watch and see how it all unfolds. Is there a stretch on the calendar that you've already circled that you're like, this is the most important stretch this season for the the Raiders? No, not until the the, the schedule comes out. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have any clue. I, I know yeah. that they have a tough a tough schedule. I know yeah. that they have uh, you know, a lot of winning teams uh, going up against them this year. But until we actually see the schedule, I, I have no idea. No. Well, I just meant like who's in division? Like who who did y'all get division wise? Who do we even I thought we did know that who they get outside yeah, yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they they know the opponents in yeah. Uh, what is it? Seattle, they play Seattle yeah, it, or the 49ers. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So they okay. got the Rams. They but like I said, I mean, until the schedules come out and it actually shows the order that they're playing in, when's mm-hmm. the bye week, you know, what what 
when's the road games in the cold when's the you know i mean until that stuff comes out like i don't even worry about it it's too early what uh what do you think they do in the draft um well i think they wait till round three before they pick because uh, they got Devonte adams but uh, you don't think they a- trade up for a pick Nah, I yeah, I don't think so. I, I I don't think that they they should. I mean, they have five picks right now, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'll be talking to Dave Ziegler, the general manager, uh, you know, in the next few days or whatever to to talk about the the draft strategy. Which, of course, he's not going to give us anything <laughs> uh, like, oh, hey, this is the plan. But um, I think that they need an offensive lineman. I think they need a cornerback. Um, if, if they stick with their five picks that they have, I think they need to come out of the draft with two impact players. Last year, they went and got Nate Hobbs. Uh, in the in the fifth round, that was a big time player. Uh, they got Divine Diablo. That was a big time player. He's the guy who got a lot of burn last year at the end of the season. Uh, shows that he could play that linebacker role. Malcolm Koontz was a guy that you know didn't get a lot of burn, but I think he had a handful of snaps and he had a couple sacks. You know, so you could see that he's he he's got it. So if you can get a couple impact players out of five picks, and if you go ahead and trade back and maybe get a couple more picks, then you have a couple more cracks at it. But yeah, if you can go out, if they can go in there and get like two two really good players that they feel confident that are going to make impacts at some point, I think they they've done a good job. I like it. I like it. What can the good folks check out from you across uh, the radio network and everything else this week, man? I mean, it's draft, 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 draft. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, it's just what it is, you know. I mean, the draft is here in Las Vegas, so uh, I'm excited and full throttle, man, ready to go. Uh, can't wait till everybody gets to town next week. Everything will probably start really on Monday, but. Um, yeah, I, who knows where I'll be and, and where I'll be doing it at, but it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, can't wait to bring all the coverage, uh, not only for the Raiders, but just the whole NFL and everything that's going to be going on in Las Vegas. It's a great place to be right now. Do you have a craziest uh, Raiders fan encounter story in Vegas? Um, No, not yet. I mean, really, there was that one time when the Raiders were on a losing streak and uh, there was a fan outside the the uh, Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, the the um, practice facility and uh-huh. he had a bag over his head and he's like, the Raider fans deserve better. You know, and he, like, he was, he was pissed off. And so everyone that was driving into the facility saw him and all the players saw him and everything. But I'll yeah. say this as much as I thought like, Oh man, come on, dude, you don't have to do that. That's, <laughs> that's kind of embarrassing. They went on a four game winning streak after that. So maybe he was onto something. Maybe, you know, he did a little something. I think everyone in Vegas is still excited about the team being here and yeah they drive by the facility and they see the torch right there out front and they see the beautiful building and they kind of pull over and take pictures of it. So everyone's still kind of really excited and fired up about it. I don't think there's any too, too much crazy going on right now, but that was, that was kind of funny from last season. But Hey, like I said, they went on a four game winning streak. So maybe, maybe he was onto something. Maybe he knew what he was doing. Golden Knights or Raiders? Who's, who's still King right now in Vegas? Golden Knights. Golden Knights are still They're, 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 they're Vegas's team. I mean, that's Interesting. just who they are. They're built in, in Las Vegas, but now, if the Raiders go and get into the Super Bowl or something like that, then all of a sudden the tie could change really quickly. But, uh, you know, the first year that fans were actually in, in, allowed in the stadium, in Allegiant Stadium, was last season. So that yeah. was the first taste that, uh, you know, the fan base here in Vegas actually had of the team up close to personal where they've been there at the Fortress, you know, uh, watching the Golden Knights. They've been in that environment. I haven't even been in that environment yet because I just have been so busy. I haven't had a chance to, but. Uh, that that's just a fantastic, you know, atmosphere and everything. So yeah, the golden Knights are still really, really in charge here in Las Vegas and they're, you know, looking like they're going to miss the playoffs. So that's going to really uh, damage what they got going on. If the Raiders are able to capitalize and all of a sudden go ahead and uh, punch their ticket to the playoffs this upcoming year, maybe the tides will turn a little bit, but uh, please believe Raider nation is loud and proud here in Vegas, but the golden Knights, since they were born here, it's just, a, it means just a little bit more to the community. 
There you go. There you go. Well, man, this has been great. Thank you so much for making the time this evening. I greatly appreciate it. Good luck uh, the rest of the way here with draft season and uh, the draft coming your way. Hopefully no craziness and uh, people yeah. don't lose their minds in Vegas next week uh, for the draft. Um, no. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. And we'll have to reconnect soon. Yeah, man, I will. No doubt about it. Appreciate you having me on. It'll be All right, we're back here on the Chase Plus Podcast, where I am now joined by veteran Major League Baseball writer Nick Stellini, the recently viral new owner of the Oakland Athletics. That's right, folks. When you dunk on uh, a team for being a bad faith team, you actually assume ownership of said team. So Nick Stellini, new owner of the Oakland A's. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. When you, when you say viral, did you mean like that actually? Because I didn't see like a traction, or do you mean the uh, the COVID currently percolating in my system? No, God, uh, no, not that. <laughs> I hope that's not gaining traction. No, I'm talking about the the quote tweet. I got a lot of it was blowing up my notifications. A lot of people were oh. Ron. You had Tom Hart, who the ESPN reporter. He was liking it. Like, yeah, no, the tweet did pretty well. Did did some numbers. Okay. Um, well, yeah. Well, I stand by everything that I said. Um, the A's are an abomination franchise, and um, and I mean that purely in terms of the ownership and um, the the way it's being run and the financials of the team um, and the extortion that is, for all, lack of a better term, happening between the owner and Dave Cavill and and the uh, the fans of the Oakland Athletics. The uh, and I mean just world, they, the uh, the league would step in and take the, the team away from the owner. I was it you who had the idea that uh, about. I can't remember if it was you in the Twitter thread or someone else who agreed with you below about the comments about like the, we would immediately be a top 10 payroll. It's like, okay, if we give you the stadium, we help finance it. Then like, that's part of the deal or immediately taken away. Like you have to do that. If it's in writing top 10 payroll. All right. Guess what? You are holding you to that. If you want us to publicly help you finance the stadium and give you a new stadium, then that is happening. You are whatever it takes. Uh, you are doing a top ten payroll, or you get the team taken away. I love that idea. So I think that's a nice idea in a, in a vacuum. I also think that if that was in, put in anywhere, even like just set out loud, let alone put it in writing, the yeah. A's would immediately move to Vegas. <laughs> yeah, hundred um, percent. I don't think that any team would ever agree to that, even if they should. You know, from a public good moral standpoint, um, mm-hmm. then, you know. Sports franchises as public trusts and all that the the, the fan team relationship that that's a, that's a whole other podcast really, um, mm-hmm. but um, yeah I, I highly doubt that any team would agree to that. Um, like Colin O'Keefe, who's a Mariners fan, um, some of you who are listening and or watching may know him from you know the internet, um, said that the the Mariners made the same promise uh, I think when the new ownership group came in. Um, huh. And they they ran a top ten payroll in two of the following eight seasons. Um, like was it the first really two? I, I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, but that I think that was what he said. Two of the next eight. Um, yeah. And so, even if you do make that promise, like like the eight, like the, the A's can say if you give us our shiny new stadium, we'll run a top ten payroll. Whether they actually do that is something else entirely. Um, Billionaires uh, learning that there's no consequences for their actions was a was a mistake in in hindsight. Nick, I think it was a yes, mistake. Yes, I, again, another another podcast, but um, mm-hmm. yes, I agree. Um, plutocrats aside, Nick Stellini, um, week two of the Major League Baseball season um, is behind us. Baseball is in full bloom. 
Uh, Freddie Freeman just continues to torment me and Braves country, so appreciate yeah, that. that. Uh, but hey, you know, Cunha's ahead of schedule, so beginning of May, it looks like he's coming back. He's got a rehab assignment in Gwinnett starting this week so that's cool sean newcomb gone dfa'd like the sean newcomb yes. era which i feel like he has been in my life and been in atlanta brave for so long the end of the andrelton simmons sean newcomb swap uh is finally concluded both players now no longer with the team that traded for each other that was a Neither big trade at the time won that no Neither that was a rare double trade. loss both, yeah that was yeah both teams <laughs> lost that trade um, um but yeah no yeah. that uh that's my situation the braves are gonna be fine like i'm not worried um they, yeah, entering today, I think Matt Olson was the major league leader in F four. Yeah, you know, as much as you want to take, he's you know, raking a week and a half of F four into account. Um, but he already, I think, he is one of two players to have crossed at least two position players to have crossed yeah. the um, the one more threshold on Fangraphs. Him and Nolan Arenado. Actually, uh, I'm sorry, it's four. So he's the only one across the one more threshold. There are three guys: Arenado, uh, Ramirez, and Say Suzuki, who are at one more exactly. Is Suzuki really already at that? Yes. That's wild. What a home run. Like, what? I just love the. Because I don't think the Cubs saw that him being this good right away. There's no way. And it's like one of those things where they've dipped their toes into being competitive in the NL Central this year. The only team that we know for. Well, I guess we should say two teams now we know for sure are not going to be competitive. The Reds are not hitting. We'll get into them in a second. But the Pirates, like the Brian Hayes extension, great, but they're not competing. So. The Cubs are kind of like forced into NL Central competition because the Brewers and the Cardinals are like, we're good. We're not going to run away with this thing. And if they had just signed Correa too, oh man, to that one-year deal with this group and the yes. Suzuki hiring, yes. uh, signing being as good as it was, the Cubs would be yeah. kind of scary. They'd be really kind of scary right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sold on their pitching. Um, I think they've got made a few strides with their bullpen mm-hmm. uh, this year. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, obviously Carlos Correa makes any team better. Um, but right now, I mean, the, the Cub offense is Say Suzuki, Wilson Contreras actually having a pretty decent year. Um, Frank Schwindel is not, you know, hitting at the unexpected MVP levels that he was hitting at when he first came up from Oakland last year. Um, but the, you can see, like, the, the makings of, like, a halfway, you know, maybe we'll hit 500 team here. Uh, add Correa, then, then yeah, that's a lot better. Um, but, I mean, so they've got David Robertson pitching well. Um, Keegan Thompson has kind of turned into their like multi-inning weapon all of a sudden, hmm. uh, which I find very interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, so I also don't want to give the Cubs too much credit here because they very clearly could have done a lot more because like I said, right. they have the makings of something good here. You know, they also traded away the makings of something good, you know, the past few seasons and neglected to, or declined to sign those good players to an extension. Um, are but... you surprised the Ricketts family jumped out of the, the Chelsea bid? It was a it was a big surprise. They did not stay with that. I, I am pleasantly surprised. Um, not not that I'm a Chelsea fan or really you know have yeah. a huge emotional investment in who who's running Chelsea, um, but I am pleasantly surprised by that. Um, like the, so, yeah, the Cubs clearly could have done a lot more here. There was plenty of stuff on the open market this winter, um, and you know they added you know one, two, three, four, five free agents to their bullpen. Hmm. Um, six, uh, yeah, five to their bullpen because they entered tr- spring training with like nobody out there. Um, yeah. so they went out and got Robertson and Michael Givens and Chris Martin, Daniel Norris and Jesse Chavez. Um, so, you know, good for you. I guess that you realize, Hmm, we should probably have somebody to cover those innings. Um, and you know, they signed Marcus Stroman, which is nice. Um, I don't know. They could have done a lot more and like Suzuki's a phenomenal ad. He's only, He's yet to reach his 28th birthday, so maybe that's a long-term piece for them if he can keep it up. Um, but 
I don't know. We'll see. Uh, you know, this gets a lot more interesting when guys like Brennan Davis arrive. Um, yeah. But, you know, again, I don't want to give them too much credit because they really could have done a lot more. Absolutely. What's going on with uh, your your Yankees? How has it how's it been over the last week? Oh, um, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I, let me find what Brian Hoke just tweeted out uh, a Uh-oh. few minutes ago. Um, the Yankees are averaging three runs per game this season, third worst MLB behind the Diamondbacks and Orioles. They have scored oh. just in just twenty of their ninety one innings this season. The Yankees are hitting one ninety with runners in scoring position, which is fifth worst in MLB. They're hitting. Uh, .091, which is 3 for 33, with runners in scoring position and two outs, which is second worst in MLB behind Arizona, who is a whopping over 27. So that's how the Yankees are doing right now. Um, Which is, you know, a shame because the pitching's actually been pretty cool. Um, Like, the pitching I've been blown away by, to be frank. Uh, I mean, Garrett Cole has had his ups and downs so far um, to, to much publicity. Um, mm-hmm. But Luis Severino is back in the starting rotation and healthy for the first time in two years, and he's looked great. Um, he's hitting 97. His changeup is as disgusting as ever. Um, Jordan Montgomery's pitched well. Jameson Tyone looks fully healthy. Like, he was still coming back from Tommy John last season. Um, and so he had his, his bumps and uh, bumps on the road because really command and control is the last thing to come back when you come back from Tommy John. You get your velocity before you get the ability to put the ball where you want it. Hmm. Um, and Nestor Cortez is, you know, the second coming of Tom Blavin, apparently, which is just cool as hell. Um, and the bullpen has been, you know, impeccable. The bullpen has been disgusting. Uh, Mike King looks like the next big thing in relief pitching. Um, Clay Holmes, who the Yankees got for a song from Pirates last year, um, is disgusting. Jonathan Loisica is still Jonathan Loisica. They picked up Miguel Castro from the Mets right before opening day, and he's pitched well. Lucas Lickie's slider is now just like this big, sweeping, disgusting menace. Um, it's cool. The pitching is really, really, really good. They might legitimately have the best pitching staff in baseball. Um, they just can't hit mm-hmm. is the thing. Um, like, John Carlos Stanton's have had a pretty decent start to his season um, Aaron Judge is doing okay. Um, but, you know, we talked about this last week. They rolled into the season with Kyle Higashioka at catcher and Isaiah Kainafalefa at, at short. IKF started hitting a little bit the last few days. Um, but Higashioka has been an unmitigated disaster at the plate. Um, behind the plate, he hasn't been that great either. Um, he's made some mistakes that just, you know, were Gary Sanchez-esque, for lack of a better term. But mm-hmm. um, they did pick up Jose Trevino in a trade from Texas again right before opening day to be the backup when Ben Rorfeth got hurt. And Trevino, when he's gotten a chance to play, has hit the crap out of the ball. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a starting catcher for most of the time going forward, to be frank. Um, like, Higgy's still starting to, again tonight because um, Cole is pitching and Higgy is kind of Cole's personal caddy at this point. Hmm. Um, but uh, I would not be surprised if Trevino gets the lion's share of the playing time moving forward. But, I mean, Josh Donaldson, we talked, again, we talked about him last, last week, um, just not very inspiring so far. Joey Gallows had this weird mix of like his normal strikeouts and just some awful luck where he's hitting the snot out of the ball when he does make contact, but he's hitting mm-hmm. line drives right at guys. Um, so maybe that evens out at some point. LeMahieu looks like LeMahieu again, which is nice. Um, and Hicks is actually hitting well, which is very refreshing. We'll see if he stays healthy is the thing, but he's hitting well. Um, but they just can't bring runs in. They, they can't mm-hmm. do it. it, it, it it's bad. And, you know, we like to talk about, you know, every team complains about their, their hitting with runners in scoring position at some point every season. That's just that's a thing that happens. At every season, every fan of every team will at one point want to fire the manager, want to designate the entire bullpen for assignment, and will bitch and moan about the lack of hitting with runners in scoring position. That's going to happen over the course of 162 games. 
Um, but the hitting with runners in scoring position has been a consistent thing with the Yankees for like, I don't know, a, a million years now. <laughs> um, like, that's been a problem. Um, pretty much, you know, towards the end of Dryden's tenure, but also just basically the entirety of Aaron Boone's tenure in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it, when it becomes a, a consistent problem for that long, you have to start asking questions again. Why is that? Um, and right. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if it's the, the mental conditioning that they're doing with the players or the value they're placing on certain hitting outcomes that are now, you know, to the detriment of hitting runners in scoring position. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a problem. Like they got embarrassed in Baltimore. Uh, Cortez struck out 15 men, um, which again, he's a small guy who maybe throws 91, 92 and has 15,000 different breaking balls. Um, and he just pants the Orioles, but he lost. Um, the Yankees lost. I don't think he took the loss, but the Yankees lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just bad, man. Like it was, they got shut out by, by the Baltimore Orioles and to the Orioles credit, I will say, um, we, we were, kind of knocking them for their their the construction of the pitching staff, which I still stand by to be clear. Um mm-hmm. but Bruce Zimmerman looks good. Like his stuff was moving. Um I think what's the other guy's name that pitched? Um hold on. I, I the Orioles started pitching is all like, you know, faceless amalgamations of human beings. Um The faceless men. Uh Tyler Wells. Tyler Wells, when I was watching him pitch the other night, he looked mm-hmm. really good. His stuff was moving. Um, so maybe they've got something there, which is you know, good for them. Um, and their bullpen's kind of got, you know, like we, we clouded them for trading way to relievers right at the start of the season. Um, but Jorge Lopez looks like he can be a really good weapon out of the bullpen now. Um, all credit to him. Um, so they, they can pitch a little bit now, but man, look, you can't get shut up by the Orioles. You just can't yeah. do that. Um, the Orioles Twitter good. had fun with it. It, that's when you're like, down yeah, bad. And, and, and you know what? Like, you can't get mad at that. Like, like right. they, 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 they earned that. When you get shut out by the Orioles, that's what happens. Um, so, yeah. There you go. Um, well, what have you learned, Nick? What have you? What is the biggest what takeaway that you have through two weeks of the Major League Baseball season? What have you learned? Um, what I have learned is that... Um, hmm. What I've learned is that... The Dodgers are um, the Terminator. Um, they are a, a collection of T-800s and T-1000s who have come um, back in time to not just kill Kyle Reese and and uh, John Connor, but all of us. They, they are coming mm-hmm. to kill all of us. Um, and frankly, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, we're all just going to have to, you know, grin and bear it. And they will they will show up with a giant machine gun and just blast us all to death. And, right. Um, sucks to suck, man. Um, Do you think the like, gap is pretty large? Because the Giants have played well to start off. Like the Giants have. played well. So, so w- one of my um, favorite tweets of all time, and and uh, I'll see if I can find it. So maybe you can link it in the description of the pod or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, I think it was Mike Gianella. It, it, this was back from when? Oh gosh, uh, I want to say 2016. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it was like, you know, Cubs, we have assembled the finest collection of young stars in all of baseball. We have Chris Bryant, we have Javi Baez, yada, yada, yada. Uh-huh. and Giants, we found Gorky's Hernandez outside buttering obscenities to himself, and now he's going to hit 500 for us. It's kind of like that. Um, it's not quite to that degree where the Giants, again, again, just found guys off the scrap heap and have turned them into, you know, unholy weapons. Um, but, 
you know, the Giants have a tendency to do that. They're, they were really smart, and then they hired Farhan Zaidi, who, yeah. I mean, yeah, you can might be a little bit back because, you know, maybe he may or may not have had something to do with the, uh, the famous uh, crimes.xl spreadsheet that the, the Dodgers had. Um, but, you know, he's also a really, 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 really good baseball executive. And, you know, they found some sort of secret sauce with pitching. They did it last year with Kevin Gossman. They're doing it now again with Alex Cobb. Um, you know, Buster Posey just straight up retired, um, but yeah. they're still kind of keeping pace a little bit with, all, with their offense. Jock Peterson's hitting like 380 something, which is not going to last. He's going to go back down by 100 points. But, you know, Tyler Estrada, who the Yankees, you know, cast off from their 40 man, is playing pretty well for them. Um, Joey Bart's been hitting well, which is, you know, a long time coming, frankly. Um, I mean, they. They've got a good thing going. Their bullpen is good. Camilo Doval is good. The results of this game right now, notwithstanding, um, he kind of screwed up a little bit and then went to extras, and Harleen Garcia gave up a walk-off to Lindor just now. Um, but you know, like the Giants, like they know how to survive, basically. They they, right. they, they will find a way. Um, they're like the dinosaurs on Jurassic Park. Life will find a way. Um, I like the that. The Dodgers, again, are, are just like this, like, you know, the, they're the Avengers, kind of. Um, and they're not my Avengers. They're not my Avengers, no. Nick. No, um, you know, I will. I, I do want to say something though. I, I maybe this is me being presumptive. Um, again, small sample sizes work both ways. Um, Cody Ballinger entering today is hitting two seventy eight, three sixty six, five hundred. Um, which was, I mean, he looked really bad like the first week of the season, and then apparently yeah. he's picked it up since then. Again, that's one week and another week, and we've got you know. A year and a half of Cody Bellinger looking lost, and then this one week. A lot of it, though, so, was injury, right? Like, it just, he's never been right. Like, a lot of Bellinger seems like he played hurt and, like, he was not right. And he's just played not right for a while. So, so from my understanding, uh, as far as I know, um, it, it was a number of things. It yeah. was a shoulder injury he incurred in the World Series when he would, right. you know, did the arm thing too hard, um, which he then, which just never properly healed, I think. Yeah. Um, but in congruence with that, Bellinger was also constantly tinkering with his swing and his stance to compensate. Yeah. That. And he was kind of doing that before the shoulder injury too, because in his MVP season, he came out of the gates like gangbusters going nuts. And then towards the middle of the year, he started like pitchers, like kind of figured out you can throw a fastball inside or, or a slider inside and he'll swing at it. Right. Um, and so he's trying to like compensate for that, which, you know, you know, that's how baseball works is, you know, you do something, the pitchers figure it out and you have to respond to that and so on and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. And, Ballinger's always tinkered, and so the tinkering in congruence with the constant, constant tinkering, um, in combination with the shoulder injury, um, I think really screwed him up. And um, I will admit, over the last year and the start of this season, I was like, "Why the hell don't they just send him down, man?" Like, right. it's not like the Dodgers have like no depth where they need it. Like, to be clear, Ballinger's still playing a very good center field. Um, or, or right, wherever they happen to stick him that particular day. He's still a very good defensive player. He provides value that way. Mm -hmm. um, but last year, he was so bad. Like, he was a negative war player last year. It was mm -hmm. bad. Um, you know, at some point, you have to, like, okay, say, oh, this isn't working. We should we can be giving every day at-bats to, you know, someone else. Um, right. And the Dodgers have depth. Well, it's also, depth, like... Which is, well, I think it's also like they didn't have to because he's batting in the eight spot. It's like one of those things where they're so loaded at the top of the order and the offense is so good that they're like, yeah, we could just keep Cody around. He's good vibes. And if he figures it out, great. Sure. If not, he's an eight or nine guy and who cares? Like, it's kind of like Dansby at this point with Atlanta. He's batting ninth. Like, he's 
been atrocious. Like this is, he's been a below I mean, average hitter for hit like twenty five home runs last year, right? He did, but like his what is his career WRC plus? It's got to be a hundred or he's right below probably it. Probably roughly average, I think. And this year it's just bad. Like he's he's lost. Like he led the league in K's, I think, through the first week, and he's really really struggled. Ooh, it's, and it's bad now. Oh my god, I, that's what I'm saying, man. Like Nick, I'm telling you, Dansby is like in that zone where it's like his defense is great. The team likes him being around. He's a good clubhouse guy. And it's like, as long as he's cool, like we're not paying him an exorbitant amount and he doesn't see himself as a star and he's just good with his role. It's like, who cares? Like if he wants to be our Jack Wilson for a while, who cares? Right. And like, again, it's 12 games. Like he's going to, yeah. he's going to pull out of this, um, and like but not to an extent where he's like a great player. Like it's not like well, he's going to necessarily need him to be a great player. Either. Correct. Like last year he was at 98 WRC plus. So just slightly under league, under league average on offense. But he right. did give you 27 home runs and really good defense. And so if that's a complimentary player on your team rather than your main player on the team, right. you're in pretty good shape. Exactly. And who could forget those locks? Like the the women oh, of Atlanta. Of and, I mean, the Sports Renaissance woman. It's a big fan of Dansby's one. She doesn't get the name. Like, that's one where she's like, his name's not Dansby. And I'm like, his name is Dansby. It's a tough thing. Not many Dansby's <laughs> out there. It's like, it, it's a Dansby. Um, Nick Stellini, just how bad is the Cincinnati Reds offense. I saw a stat like how many guys are batting below 200 to start this year? Something like eight guys in their lineup are batting below 200 at the moment. Like it's horrific what's happening in Cincinnati. You got the president beefing with the city. The vibes are so, I mean, just the vibes (laughs) in Cincinnati are horrific and it's just so sad and sucks. But like, how bad is this Reds team going to be? Like, are they going to be worse than the pirates? I think there's a chance. Yes. Yes. Um, so I saw another stat and I didn't save it and I'm mad at myself for that. Um, but I believe it was since the, the president mouthed mm. off about the fans and everything, they are over with like, I think of one plate or something like that. Um, Do you think they're doing that to spite him? It's like, Hey, you think this is bad? No, well, I, but, but I, I think the universe <laughs> speaks in certain ways sometimes. Right. You, know what I mean? you reap what you sow. <laughs> um, yeah. You poke yeah. the bear, you do that kind of thing. Then, Hey. It might so, happen. Entering today, the Reds as a team are hitting 181, 254, oh. 287. That is as a team. Um, they are striking out in 27.6% of their plate appearances, which I believe is tops in the league. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's second to Baltimore. Um, is Baltimore really seven, worse? Um, they're hitting for more average, but they're striking yeah. out. Um, the Reds' hmm. walk rate is. Uh, 7.5%, which is fifth worst in the league. Um, the only team hitting for lower average than the Cincinnati Reds is the Arizona Diamondbacks, who are hitting a robust 152. Um, it's uh, it's pretty grim. And uh, it's hard to say, frankly, that this was anything else but the plan. Um, like, I mean... You know, you don't think you know jo- Jonathan India and Joey Votto and Tyler Stevenson are going to hit for like like this, and Kyle Farmer yeah. can kind of hit too. And I think Kyle Farmer is actually the one guy who is hitting. Um, yeah, Kyle Farmer is hitting two ninety seven. He's, he's hmm. producing. Um, yeah, but like I mean, you look at the rest of the roster. Um, there's also a psychological aspect too. Like you know, excuse me, sorry. No, you're good. Like I said, COVID. Um, there's there is a psychological aspect where when you put your players in this position and mm-hmm. everybody in the room knows like, okay, we're going to suck. 
and the, mm-hmm. the team is making us suck on purpose. Like, um, that's that's a lot to deal with. We're like, okay, now I've got 162 games to look forward to. Just awfulness. Um, right. And that that sucks. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I mean, I will say that, you know, it's cool that, you know, Hunter Green's up and throwing 100 miles an hour every pitch. Yeah. They don't really That's like the only right saving now. grace for a lot of these teams that are just openly not trying is that like the one thing that changed was a lot of these young guys are up. So that's one of the fun things. It's like if the Royals are bad or whatever, who cares? We got Bobby Witt Jr. playing like Seattle. If they have a down year, they don't bounce back. It's like, oh, well, at least we have Rodriguez and company playing like that is a step in the right direction. But it's also like um, the the president, the the Reds president doing the, the Tim Robinson bit of just like oh, we're all trying to find the guy who did this. And it's like. You could have just kept Nick Castellanos. You could have just kept a lot of these guys that you let go and you were like the NL central is winnable. Like I just, it's so cynical what the Reds did this past off season that like, I don't know. The fan base is great. Big red machine. One of them will be the oldest teams. And it just sucks. Like this could have been, this should not be the case for the Cincinnati Reds and where they're at right now. They should not be worse than the Pittsburgh pirates in 2022. That is insane. No, there's, there's no excuse. And not the same excuse for what the pirates are either to be clear. Yeah. Um, but you know, like just the path to the red, the pirates being good this year was way more complicated than the path to the reds being competent. Exactly. That's the best way of putting it. Yeah. Um, Uh, it's bad. I actually might be seeing the pirates in person. Um, soon. Um, I'm taking a trip to Pittsburgh for um, my sister, my sister's graduation. I've got a free night. So I might go finally check out PNC park, which I'm looking for. So you haven't been before. I have not, no. That's on my bucket list, man. Okay. The Padres will be in town, which I'm looking forward to. Um, So, yeah, I'm hoping to find a relatively cheap seat and uh, watch the Padres beat the crap out of the Pirates. Um, What's your number? How many ballparks have you been to? um, Embarrassingly few. Um, I have not had the opportunity to travel a whole lot. Yeah. Um, So I'm hoping to address that in the next year or two. Yeah. yeah, embarrassingly few. You got time. You got time, Nick. Yeah. You got time. Um, well, Jake Arrieta does not have time because he retired uh, officially mm-hmm. this week. I want to ask you, because like, I think for a lot of people, and probably myself included, will remember the Cubs run, the World Series, and just what he did there and the turnaround in Chicago. But is that what you'll remember most about Jake Arrieta? Or were you just like really into the Jake Arrieta highlights early on in Baltimore? What uh, what were your what what will you remember most about Jake Arrieta? So the, my first memory of Jake Arrieta is, I think it was when did he come up? Um, I think it was 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so maybe it was 2013 or the year before. Um, I was watching this random ass Yankee game at, in my dorm at college, mm. and they were getting carved up by this dude from Baltimore who I like. Even back then, when Baltimore was winning games, like they, I think between 2012 and 2016, they had the most mm-hmm. wins in the AL. Um, but even back then, like their pitching wasn't anything sexy. Um, and I remember watching this dude named Jake Arrieta just carve up the Yankees, at least for like a few innings at first. I was like, who the hell is this guy? Um, so when the Cubs picked him up, I was quite intrigued. Um, and the rest is history. I mean, my, my favorite Jake Arrieta memory is, of course, his run in the second half of 2015, where he just like was the best pitcher to ever live. Um, like it was insane. Um, mm. I mean, I mean, I was talking earlier about how, you know, like some of the, the Baltimore guys, like their stuff moves. Jake Arrieta's stuff moved. It was nasty. Yeah. 
Um, he was so aesthetically pleasing to watch pitch. I mean, I, I like watching pitchers to begin with. Um, watching Jake Arrieta pitch was just so soothing to me. Um, mm. I, I love the way he pitched. I mean, yeah, he struck guys out and he carved them up a little bit, but the ground balls and stuff was also very cool. Um, I loved his delivery. I just the way he threw the ball was very cool to me. Just, you mm-hmm. know, kind of like across his body, like the, the leg kick and everything. Um, I, I just loved watching Jake Arrieta pitch when he was at his best. Um, his memories, the, the memories of Jake Arrieta more recently are of him kind of just being a dingus. But um, yeah, you know, when Jake Arrieta was at his best, he was incredible. I would love a. I want someone to write like a full on just. Not even what would we call this? Some uh, just way back when, but just like some kind of tell all on the Orioles pitchers who got out of Baltimore and then their entire <laughs> careers changed. Like all of these prop, the promising Baltimore Orioles pitchers that got away, and like the Britons of the world, the Jake Arrietas, and just all the names of folks who it's like well, if they had did, just did been away. Fair, Britain got good. Britain got good in Baltimore. He did. Like, he did. Yeah. Uh, Grossman. Um, uh, well, I'm not Grossman. Uh, well, Gaussman. Gaussman. Excuse me. Um, you have Gaussman. Who else do we have? Dylan, Dylan Bundy. Bundy. I mean, so a lot Brian of Matus. Was, uh, a lot of the story with Bundy, at least, was um, was injuries. I mean, he he just couldn't right. stay healthy for a while. I mean, Gaussman had that problem too at first. Um, but you know, he really took his leap when he left Baltimore. Yep. Um, I mean, th- there are certain teams that just have trouble developing pitching. Yeah. Um, I mean, your team, the, the Orioles. Well, actually, that's not true. Uh-oh. Here <laughs> we go. Here Yankees, we go. The one, mm-hmm. no, the one thing the Yankees are good at is pitching. Um, they have had a lot of trouble getting sustained. I, I tweeted about this the other day. Yeah. Um, they've had a lot of trouble getting sustained success out of their hitters at the major league level. Um, Judge is kind of the exception of the rule there. Glaber mm-hmm. Torres, Gary Sanchez, Miguel and Duhar, they were all these big blue chip prospects, came up, did well at first, and they just have not been able to to. to get sustained success out of them. I think Glaber Torres has almost all lost his spot in the light at this point. Um, mm-hmm. He just does not look good again this year. Um, Gary is, we all know what happened with Gary and mm-hmm. yeah, Andrew Hart had the great rookie year. He got hurt, but they've had chances to put him back at third and bring him back and play him somewhere. And they haven't. Um, mm-hmm. So um, it's a problem. It is a problem. Uh, do you like the Freeland extension for the Rockies? Um, so that's weird, in a way. Um, like, I kind of get it, but also mm-hmm. like he did pitch his way out of the pitch his way out of the major league at some point. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, look, if you get like the Kyle Freeland of the last couple years, where you're just like a guy who's fine. Um, mm-hmm. Sure, whatever. I mean, like, we we see what, what's the number? I think it's sixty three. Um, yeah. Sixty-four point five with with mm. a seventeen. Whatever it, it's it's roughly sixty-five. Yeah. Um. We see that number and we think of the Rockies and like you know like how they don't like spend money a lot outside of Chris Bryant, um and you know extensions for guys they probably trade away. Um, like we see that and we say oh that's a lot of money. Like okay, so if Kyle Freeland is like a guy who can like just mm-hmm. like provide you innings that aren't embarrassing for the next five years. That's fine. Like that, that, mm. that's that's roughly market rate for that. If he's just a guy, um, if he turns back into 2018 where he's like throwing 200 innings of 25 ball, then like holy crap, what mm. a wonderful! Do I think that's gonna happen? No. Um, 
I mean, like, look, the peripherals are always going to be kind of weird at course to begin with. So, like, I mean, like, you can look at his step or whatever. Like, but, eh. I, 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 like, let me, let me pull up his, uh, his baseball perspectives page so I can see the DRC because the DRC is a lot better. Or, or, or DRA, sorry, DRA. Um, is a lot better at accounting for park and all that, all, that, all that stuff. Let me pull that up so we can get a little bit better insight into uh, who Kyle Friedland is at this point. Um, but, like, again, so if he's just a guy, then sure, whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I've always found the way the Rockies allocate their their money to be quite strange. Um, I mean, this sure whole offseason, the last few months have been so weird. Like, this is just – Chris Bryant's just a Rocky. Like, that's just the weirdest thing. Like, I don't yeah. – they're a that, weird that, that, team, that's, man. That, that's that's phenomenal to me. I, I love that. It's so strange. So, last year – okay. So, last year, DRA for Kyle Freeland, 4.60. Year hmm. before that, 4.78. Um, oh, I'm sorry. This year's 4.60. So that's nothing. We, that's two starts. Last year, 4.78. Year before, 5.37. Year before that, the year he got sent down was 6.14. So treading in the right direction, yay. But, you know, treading from literally got sent back AAA at one point to you don't hate yourself from being in the back of irritation. Mm. Um, like, we've all seen the games where Kyle Freeland, like, has his stuff and he's pitching really well. Like, we've seen that. He just did it the other day. Um, but I don't know. I mean, on one hand, can I like get really mad that the Rockies are spending a little money? No. Um, can I get confused as to how they're spending the money? Yes. Mm. Um, like remember a couple of years ago when they like spent all their money on the, like they spent a lot of money on like relievers. Yeah. Um, was that the Wade Davis off season? Yeah, I think it was. Okay. They spent a lot of money on like three or four different relievers and they all bombed. Like just right. all of them bombed. Um, like that's how the Rockies spend, um, mm-hmm. which is less than ideal. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, they have a new GM who is like a guy who's been in the house for a while, but like nothing has changed. Like I think he like didn't wasn't there a story that came out where like he fired the analytics department like a week and a half into his job? Like he's I want to. S- yeah, that sounds right. And now I think I think that's right. But I mean, the Rockies are an organization where it's like. You can bring in whoever you want to bring in GM-wise until ownership changes. Like, they are who they are. Like, it starts at the top. And we just overlook that a lot of times because they're not forward-facing people. But, no, the Rockies are going to stay doing stuff like you talked about, that weird offseason where they just signed a bunch of relievers and the weird offseason where they follow up moving on from Arenado and Trevor Story by bringing in uh, Chris Bryant. Like, they're just weird. Like, the Rockies are going to keep – like. They are who their ownership is, yeah, and yeah, it's just a yeah. weird as, as situation. As, Mon, as long as the yeah, as long as the Montforts own the team, like this is what's going to be. And right. there will be years where you luck into a run every now and then, mm. um, but this is how it's going to be, and, and, and it sucks. It sucks. Um, I, I, Rockies fans are good people, and I wish they had better things than this. Great ballpark too. I just love the Chris Bryant just yes. being like, I choose vibes, and I choose quality of life and i'm just gonna have fun in denver i'm just gonna chill and, like and you I, know what? like i can't i can't go with that because like, he won a won title yeah he's won his ring he just wants to chill and live a nice life in a nice city mm. um and play in a pretty ballpark um cool. hit a lot good of dingers yeah. right like <laughs> good, good for you man pad your stats go to the hall of fame that's fine i was gonna say like he could i, I want him to get a sneaky mvp just in colorado and just raking in colorado yeah, and for he a while. Could do that like 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 just the way that ball that park plays um mm. like he could like win a batting title one year like, like just like out of nowhere like he could do it um it, i'm okay hilarious. with it 
Um, speaking of things that are hilarious, what did you make of the Seeger intentional walk? And Joe Madden, this oh, now yeah, he learned yeah. that this was the second time he's done this. Wait, it was the second time? Yes, he's done it before. He did it in Tampa. I did not remember this. He's done this before. I, I have no memory of that. Um, yes, Joe Madden's done it twice. I want to pull up the game it was. Um, intentional walk twice, I, but yes. I mean, it had been, been done twice before, and the famous one was Barry Bonds. Right. Um, He's done it twice, and I forgot who the other one okay, was. So is, is this is this where I get to finally have my Joe Madden truther moment? Oh, um, here we go. Okay, so my my my, and I'm not alone in this. Um, my firmest take, um, and maybe this wasn't true at first, but like it's been true at least since the Cubs days, if not before. Um, mm-hmm. Joe Madden's not a good manager. Oh, Joe Madden is Joe Madden is not a good manager, man. Um, at, least, at least from an X's and O's standpoint, I can't speak to what he does with the clubhouse and the players and all that stuff. To be clear, just from a pure X's. Oh, and, O's and hold on, before you finish, I got it. So it was Josh Hamilton. He did it to Josh Hamilton when he yes, was with yes, Tampa Bay okay, in two thousand eight. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So okay. he was the last one to do um, it. So he's done it back to back times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Josh Hamilton, like I can kind of defend that, I guess, but like mm. maybe. Um, so from a pure X's and O's standpoint, Joe Madden, in my opinion, has never really been that great a, a, a manager. Um, like everybody was like talking him up for like the shifts and stuff in Tampa, which like cool, but also like they shifted on Ted Williams, like that wasn't anything new. Mm-hmm. Um, and like again, a, a lot of that was just like Tampa living within their self-imposed constraints mm-hmm. um, and, and optimizing their players. And like, look, look, good for them for doing that. Like, clearly it worked. Um, but like, let, let's go back to the 2016 World Series. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's go back to bringing all this chat, but then in what was it, the seventh inning? Mm-hmm. And like in a game where they were up, I think three or four runs, and then just like riding him for like a long time. Um, it, the day before, you would have to play game seven. Let's talk mm-hmm. about that. There's just, just there's been so many different things where where I have had the urge to tweet out the Joe Madden with the glass of wine gif. Just, 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 just. He is. Uh, he retweeted this the other night when he when he did when he walked in when he walked Seeger, he retweeted mm-hmm. this. Um, I think it was originally a Mark Normandin tweet. Um, mm-hmm. Is Joe Madden a good manager or does he just wear glasses? You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, why I wear glasses, man. I can see perfectly. Like it yeah. just adds a level to like it. It does. It adds a level. It's like oh, he's wearing some Warby Parkers. That guy, he's a thinker. Yeah. Like like again, I can't speak to the way he makes players feel comfortable or works in the clubhouse and, and all that stuff. Cause that's, that's all very important managerial stuff that, that is exceedingly important part of the job. And I don't want to minimize that. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, um, from an X's and O's standpoint, Joe Madden for me for again, since his club cub tenure, um, has been nails on chalkboard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just his bullpen management, uh, especially when he's in the National League with the pinch hitting and the double switches and everything, um, was not a fan at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I am thrilled in a way that um, I have been validated in such a you know loud way <laughs> with the, with this Corey Seager move because oh my goodness! And, and, and to be clear, they won the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my favorite things from Mike Matheny's tenure in, in St. Louis was that Cardinals fans had this thing on Twitter where um, they had a matrix, it was like a four-sided like four matrix. 
um, where, where one axis was good process and good, um, a bad process, and the other axis was I remember this, bad results. Yeah. And they would put his face um, mm-hmm. on the graph between, you know, where 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 the it was plotted with the bad results and the good results and the pro, the mm-hmm. good and bad process it was hysterical and that is exactly what happened when the Angels won that game where mm-hmm. Joe Madden was all the way in the bad bad process quadrant but all the way up on the good results uh, axis um, that is exactly what happened um, you know, he said part of it was to light a fire under his players or something like that I, I don't remember the exact quote hmm. but like. If that's what you want to call, like, all of your players being like, oh, my God, is this who our manager is? Um, I guess that's what that's what lighting a fire is. And you're like, we all saw Mike Trout's face. We all yeah. saw Mike Trout be like, what the hell? Um, and more than that, like, I get that you had Austin Warren, who's a rookie reliever, on the mound in a really tight spot. But what does that tell Austin Warren? Like, like, like yeah. how does it not, like, torpedo the kid's confidence? Like, sorry, I don't trust you to pitch to Corey Seager in the fourth inning. Um, we're going to walk him instead because, God forbid, you throw this guy anything over the plate. Um, yeah. Because, because you know, that's what you do, kid. Sorry, you're a schmuck. So, again, why did you bring that kid into the game in the first place if you're that worried about it? But, yeah. Um, Man, I don't know. But, like, it's just the Angels' job is just a weird one. because And the, the roster is just so strange. Like, we've talked about this before, and John um, right. and I have talked. Like, it, it's weird. But, but the, the AL... You, yeah, go ahead. Part of the way you deal with a suboptimal roster is mm. you bring in a good manager. Right. Who can, you know, do something with that suboptimal roster. Um, a Brad Osmus, if you Frank, will. Exactly. Of course, Brad Osmus, yes. Um, <laughs> like... What, like, 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 okay, let's go back to this. Um, so the Cubs originally um, shit-canned Eric Renteria, Rick Renteria to bring in uh, Joe Madden. Like, they had Rick Renteria mm-hmm. on the job, and they shit-canned him to bring in Madden when he became available. Right. Why couldn't the Angels shit-can Joe Madden to bring in Bob Melvin when he became available? Because Bob hmm. Melvin was available this winter. Um, yeah. Like, and again, That's true. the Dodgers are the credit in the world for, for getting Bob Melvin. Um, and I give the A's all the shit in the world for letting Bob Melvin go. Um, but like, you've got Mike Trout, you've got Shelly Otani, you've got an aging Anthony Rendon. You have to win something at some point, man. And like, if I want to win something at some point with those guys, I get the best manager I can in there as soon as possible. Yeah. Hey, look, maybe, maybe Joe is phenomenal with the guys in the room. Um, maybe Trout and Otani love him to death and they get, they go, they lay down for him. They go into battle for him. God bless. From an X yeah. and O standpoint, Joe Madden is ooh, ooh, nails on chalkboard for me. Nick Stellini, what can the good folks check out from you across the internet this week? Um, this week, not anything. Um, there will be news at some point soon. Um, that's okay, all I can say right now. Um, that's all good news, I, I news. assume. Good, good news, news, yes. Okay. Um, as, as as long as all uh, goes according to plan, there will be very good news, very good, very soon. Um, until then. Um, just follow me on Twitter at Stellini Tweets. Um, don't yell at me. And yeah, there you go. There you go. Nick Stellini, thank you so much for coming back on the program. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll check back in again soon. Have a good one, Jace.
All right, folks, that will do it for this edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, the jam-packed Wednesday, April 2020. Nope, that's not it. <laughs> Wednesday, April 20th, 2022 edition. I'm not redoing that. That's just not how it's happening. Um, thank you again to my wonderful guests for coming on this edition of the, prog- the program to talk Raiders, Major League Baseball, and the NBA. Very fun jam-packed show for you guys, and I hope you very much enjoyed it. Um, don't forget folks, if you enjoyed today's episode and you have not already done so, go ahead and pause right here and leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcasts. It would be great and helps the show continue to grow and all that good stuff. So if you could, that would be phenomenal. Um, also don't forget you can subscribe to my writing. Oh yeah. I'm writing all the time now at one location, Sports Renaissance Man. That's me, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Type in your email. That simple, that easy. Go ahead and take care of that today. Also, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yeah, the Chase Thomas Podcast has a visual medium these days. So go make sure that you are locked in and you can watch us if you would prefer to watch uh, all my wonderful guests appearing on this very program here on the Blue Wire Pod Network, bluewirepods.com. Go check that out today and all of our wonderful content like Max Crosby, co-worker Max Crosby, who uh, has a great pod on our network and uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. So go check that out if you've not already done so. And uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter, Chase Double underscore Thomas, and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. New episode tomorrow, uh, as usual, as we continue cranking out the content this week. Uh, Go balls and up the dance. How do I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.